Welcome back to We Want More Superman. Took me a second to remember the name of the show. This is the sh- the show where we talk about uh, Alexander Wales' short story, Metropolitan Man. If you're listening to this and don't know that, you're starting at the wrong place. And I really got to wonder like, why it is you're listening to the podcast if you didn't know what it was you were listening to. Especially this episode. Go back mm. a couple. All right. Mm. So, Brian, this week we have basically... Lex escalating and trying to to dig some understanding out of Superman. What did you think of this this these two? Chapters? I like this. Yeah, I like I like where we're going. I like how the like the characters developing the, and it is a little bit of sort of like unexpected dynamic between the different characters. It's like in these couple chapters, we kind of get it stated a little more concretely that Lois kind of doesn't dig Superman. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I like and I like how the characters are going. Um. And then it's sort of fun. Like, this is really only my, you know, second exposure to a thing. And you've said that, like, okay, this isn't, like, explicitly a, you know, rationalist um, book. But, like, being able to see the things that are kind of in common with HPMOR um, is sort of interesting to to look at as an, yeah. as an outsider. And I, I, like I said, I think the line between rational and rationalist fiction is pretty hazy. Like, I do think you can read this and learn stuff, which is basically – my requisite for rational. I mean, ideally you should be learning things from any fiction you read, right? Or you, yeah. you can learn things from any fiction you read. So it's not as simple as being able to like, you know, derive any sort of new knowledge from it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, like but we, we get less digressions about, you know, this study or, or, you know, this, this. Yeah. It's not, it's not being trying, it's not trying uh, to be sort of as uh, didactic to use an SAT word. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so, there's that, but the, you mentioned the thing about Lois too. I wanted to comment because, like, I I don't have a lot of history with Superman, but like we talked about in the the warm up episode for this show, and like I so like I imagine that it's probably a grading point where maybe some readers drop off. Uh, I'm just guessing, but it makes sense. Like, hey, like, you know, that's readers drop off because moment. of because of the dynamic in this story between Lois and Superman. If I had to guess, which I am guessing, like uh, yeah, I imagine I that. So. I mean, that's almost like one of the like sort of like that's kind of its big departure, kind of the thing that's kind of fresher about it. I mean, I mean, I'm digging it. I'm liking the the character was the and again, I'm not so super sure. Like, like what is my impression of Superman? Like how accurate? I don't know if accurate even means anything, but like how colored and kind of off base is my impression of Superman? That it's this. It's so 1950s you know, cult, like, well, it's pre-Cold War, but like, you know, traditional American white bread, um, you know, conservative is a loaded term right now, but it, you know, it's very much apple like, pie, boy scouts. Yeah. Apple, yeah. It's, it's like a step, like this is the core of the center of, of what the non-controversial version of what is, what is quote American. Um, and so like watching the extent to which it sort of departs from that is, is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. I, I just, like, I, but I, like, I, and I, even in that level, especially because like all of these things were like at that time, and I guess like the more we read this, especially because of the setting and like the what is this nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties? What are we? I guess it was. I think thirties. Thirties, yeah. Because um, so, yeah, about Trump like in, in my head, I'm just going to turn that into the little rascals. Um, Works, <laughs> but but like because that's such kind of like the like proto America because so much of like our current you know modern understanding of like what does america mean um is all of the kind of the the radical redefinition of that that happened like post-world war ii like we went out we fought the nazis it was this you know very obviously unambiguously morally righteous 
move that we as Americans made consciously as a thing that we did as Americans. And I think rightly so, like that was, that was a time it was morally unambiguous, like fucking Nazis are bad. We should go kill fucking Nazis. Um, and that we kind of rolled out of that and that everything in the last, well, shit, it's been 70 something years now, like has been kind of the, you know, as the pieces fall, fall apart from that, like, okay, what does that look like when a whole society then is, is rolling out of a, of a state like that? And this is, it. this is sort of like pre all of that, like none of that had yet happened yet, but we still had this very, I guess the thing that's been the, the idea that keeps floating around in my head is the way that this is, it's kind of like a Greek morality play. Like we have these sort of pure, it, it kind of Star Wars-esque, um, level of having these sort of pure elements of sort of the abstract concepts of good and evil and like Superman's so white bread that it doesn't even like, I mean, it's like, at least for me, it's like, it's thoroughly unbelievable, but there isn't even any kind of need to have it be believable. Like this is like, he is just this, you know, like he is just, you know, quote goodness. And we'll be able to like, look at that later as far as like how valid is that. But, um, but the complete unbelievability of his wholesomeness is a feature and not a bug. <laughs> like that's kind of like what he, at least for me, like at this point, that's what he is in the story. And then how do, if you start and we, and we definitely set up Lex as this very like hyper real character trying to look at, at the, you know, very specific realities of what's going on. And, and so the way you sort of take this, you know, Superman as the abstract concept of, you know, freedom, justice in the American way, um, right. and then, and then how does, you know, somebody who's like, you know, uh, I, what's the phrase I've used the very rationalist concept of you have to show me your work. Um, and that's kind of what Lex is like, like when those two butt up against each other, what does that look like? And, and Lois too calls him out on that, which I, yeah. I like that conversation a lot. And, and, I, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Cause it seems like Lois, you know, sort of kind of digs Lex. She definitely likes Lex way more than she likes uh, Superman and she straight up just thinks Clark's a fucking nerd. Um, so I like that. Um, and I'm hoping, I don't know, like this is going to be me like projecting out into where this is going. I like the kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern vibe of Clark and that, uh, not, not Clark, but of super Superman or Clark, either of those. I almost don't want us to get a more three-dimensional view of Superman. I like him as, as this sort of, abstract concept of a thing where he does sound like cardboard and is just saying kind of, you know, he sounds like an AI reciting, you know, if, you know, train the AI on wholesome wonder bread shit, and this is what will come out of its mouth. I kind of like that idea. And then it's sort of everybody reacting to that. Like Superman is just this phenomenon um, and not really a person. And then how would, you know, how do Lois and Lex and just society in general and the governments and all of the, you know, people in, uh, in Metropolis, how do they all react to, hi, we've completely, you know, turned, you know, we, we flipped over the table on your entire universe with this, you know, piece of wonder bread, unrealistic, blah, blah. What does that look like? So I kind of like, I, and, and it's, it's, it's just sort of kind of always adds this kind of strange sense of surrealism around like, okay, there's this character. Now there's the Superman character who is thoroughly important to everybody's understanding of the universe right now, but you can't actually kind of relate to him as a person because he's just so wonder bread. You can't really empathize with it. You can't put yourself in his headspace. 
or or you can, but it's so simple, like yeah. and not 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 like and I, yeah, and I, not, I don't have a not, yeah. Yeah. It's not derisive of him, but it but it's easy to model. Like yeah. if you ask yourself what would Superman do in the situation, the answer is easy as fuck, right? Yeah. And I, and I, I can't like I can't imagine myself being that person. It's so pure. Right. Like, like I can't be like it's just not believable. Yeah. What I like is, like not at all about like that's like that's all like almost the less believable he is as a person, the, like the better that is for how this story works. And I, I don't like, I have a huge amount of confidence that that's how this is going to pan out, but I really like, I could see a story that I really like that involves Superman remaining this perpetually Rosencrantz and Guildenstern character where like, Oh, like we're all wandering around in this fake ass universe in which there is a Superman. And what does that look like to us? Like there's something about like, I really like that idea. It's kind of, Cool. So I, I don't know how that's going to work out, but I, I like that. It, like I can sort of picture that that kind of story going on. That that sounds like it. Well, I hope this I hope this pays off for you in, in a satisfying way. I, I I finally found a way to articulate what I meant about maybe people ju- dropping off with the Lois Lane not loving Superman bit. I, I think that might be kind of like the moment where you know Harry is dropping anvils on Ron at the platform nine and three quarters, right? Where it's like, okay, I can get that Harry's being friendly with Draco. Okay, I can I can get that he's a little off putting. Oh wait, he's shitting on my boy Ron. Fuck this, I'm out. I, mean, so I wonder. No, I don't. So, and I definitely had that reaction in HPMOR. But no, this doesn't seem. No, this seems very kind of fairly justified. On, on well, like Lois you and I don't, you and I don't have a background where like you know we really cared about Lois and Superman. So I wonder yeah. if people who did, they're like, hold up, that's so unrealistic. Of course, she'd like, like Superman. Yeah, I, just I guess it. if sort of yeah, I guess if that sort of like connection between Lois and Sir Superman feels like if that's like a sacred cow to somebody because of other stories, because I could see that being like a very meaningful kind of thing. Like there could be other ways in which you would have an emotional connection to that that could be like meaningful, and then this would feel like some kind of betrayal of that. But I don't know, just sort of positioning Lois as this very much not the you know, useless 1950s, um, you know, stereotype of, you know, damsel in distress. Um, and then what would that look like? You know, what would then that character's, you know, real reaction to a Superman be? Um, like, I'm liking all of that. And the, and I guess that helps. Like, her dislike of Superman is yet more okay because we don't even have any kind of three-dimensional Superman. He is this, like, cardboard cutout. And so, like, I'm not bothered at all by the fact that, you know, a much more three-dimensional Lois doesn't like the cardboard cutout. Yeah. I, I, and that, that's that's what I'm enjoying about it. Like, it, it seems realistic where, like, uh, I, I imagine um, – I'm, I'm trying to make a – a point that I lost the coherence of, but there was, there was a moment in, I think chapter two that I forgot to call out when she's talking with Lex and like, she looks up at the ceiling and Lex thinks like, finally, somebody who gets what it means that no conversation can be private anymore. Like, and, and you know, you can be fine with Superman. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm sure glad he's, he's, you know, stopping criminals and whatever. And yet like knowing that, uh, Hey, you know, maybe he wa- is watching me take a bath or whatever. Like, yeah. it like, I mean, I, did we joke last week or was it off air? Like, you know, all, all of the, the unspeakable things you do to ourselves in our bedroom, like Superman could be watching, right? I know, right? That would be so I, weird. I, I, yeah, that's, he sees you when you're sleeping. Oh, he yeah, we did talk when, about that. <laughs> he knows when you're jerking off. Um, I don't think I made that joke, but... But yeah, and like, on the other hand, there's this other, like, and I'm I, and I'm still not sure where, where this is going to go, but there, it, it seems like there's still this possibility held out of, like, Superman is aware of all of the unintended consequences of a Superman being in the world and that it, 
it seems like like one of the other directions this might go in is like no he's actually making the smart and kind of like wise and experienced move around like you don't want me fixing everybody's problems you know all of these things you sort of like naively look at like what what is the greatest good i could be accomplishing that and all of these things i am choosing not to do um that those are I think Lois at some point calls those like, you know, morally lazy, I think is what she, what she says, but it seems like we still have one of those. The other possibility hanging out is like, no, like he is aware of that, um, but has constant, you know, consciously chosen to do otherwise because he has some, you know, additional wisdom that we don't yet know about, about the unintended consequences of, of like going that route that like his decisions about what he does and does not do in a lot of ways look lame but in other ways, like, oh, maybe maybe it's just that he knows better. Like, there's only a certain level of rocking the boat that he can do, and he's making sure that he stays on the other side of it. Um, yeah, and I, I like how I mean. So it's not it's not explicitly immoral or amoral to to do that. What I like I like Lois's phrasing, like moral laziness. It's kind of like yeah. you know, if if Bill Gates spent all of his charitable time picking up garbage, you know, in his neighborhood, like from you know, on the side of the road. I mean, because that's an unambiguous good, right? Cleaning up litter. And it's like, you know. sitting on a billion dollars. Exactly. So like if his excuse for not curing malaria, which he's doing because he's awesome. But if he wasn't, he's like, well, we don't know what the unforeseen consequences of that might be. And it's like, fuck you, dude. We know we, we know, <laughs> know right? you could do more with your time pick up trash. <laughs> I, I, because I, well, let me just take this opportunity to externally verbalize this idea I've had is, um, cause I think I was probably on board back in like nineties and in the aughts of, you know, hating Bill Gates and the anti-competitive practices of Microsoft. And I thought, so how many literal lives that you literally saved do you need to rack up before worrying about the anti-competitive practice of Internet Explorer gets wiped out. I'm thinking a couple hundred's probably good. And he's got several more zeros on that number right now. So let's just all get good with Bill Gates. Right. Yeah. At some so point, there's no level of being shitty with Internet Explorer that <laughs> that cancels out malaria. Right. Know? It's like, all right, Windows 10 was an atrocity and forcing the install onto people's machines was, was you know, uh, virtually assaulting us. But you know, the ethical offset of curing malaria. I mean. <laughs> the kids in Africa that got a mosquito net, I don't think really give much of a fuck about Internet Explorer. Like, you know what? That That is the sign of a correctly functioning, you know, moral compass. So I love that. it. All right. This has been our, our opening 15 minutes. Let's dive into the chapter. <laughs> so uh, chapter three opens up with um, basically Lex is, is not in – I don't know, not like in the first person, whatever, but he's thinking about like, okay, well, here's what people are putting together about Superman, you know? So he shows up at misdemeanors in downtown Metropolis in a felonies in the greater area, disasters across the, across the world. But he seems to like be focused on, for whatever reason, downtown Metropolis. Um, yeah. And they sort of lay it out that like, uh, like, oh, Superman will take care of uh, misdemeanors in Metropolis and felonies in the greater New York area. But, major disasters in the rest of the world and that he can get anywhere on the planet in an hour. So that's like, you know, India in an hour, but he can get to South America in 45 minutes. Right. And then people are reading into his, like uh, his, uh, what do you, I, I guess not indecision, but his, his choice not to get involved with any sort of like political strife. Yeah, They're taking that as like, Oh, maybe that's tacit endorsement. The fact that he didn't, you know, get in the way of this, you know, eugenics society or whatever, 
Um, and then they bring up like, uh, it's always problematic when you're trying to get into an ethical uh, discussion. That, like the Nazis always rear their heads in any kind of ethical thing. And uh, right. so it's like, oh, like, oh, he's not getting involved with, and I guess like the timing that we're putting this in, like Nazis are a thing. They just haven't gone full Hitler yet. So I guess this would put this like more in the thirties. Yeah. I think it's the thirties. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, oh, and then it was just sort of a, an imagining like, okay, well, what will he do? Like, will he just choose to stay uninvolved? Um, it's sort of just kind of laying the seeds for like, you know, if, you know, once we go into this hypothetical universe where there's a Superman who's capable of doing all these, all of these things, like, um, like how complicated the whole world gets with the decisions you make. Yeah. It's, um, like, yeah, you mentioned the Nazis, like he, he didn't stop them from executing 88 people in some political mm-hmm. something or other. And it's like, like, Oh, it's about to get way uh, worse than that, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Right. But, but then that's the thing. it's like, okay, so he's, he's made a commitment to not get involved in wars or political strife. And yet like that, that, and I, I, I guess I'm looking forward to the conversation that he has with Lois about that. Cause he, yeah. he does address that point. Like she, but, and she brings up like slavery. It's like, you know, at what point is your like loyalty exactly. to just like local laws be like, you know, dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Do you really think so much of man's laws that beating like, slaves is totally fine with the laws? Are you cool with that? Right. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, there's I, apparently I, I, I've got the movie of this. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, um, is it Superman red sun or red Superman? I can't remember, but he lands in Soviet Russia and oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard, I haven't seen that, but yeah, I heard about he's it. He's raised. It, uh, it's apparently really good. I just need to get around to watching it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's raised on like believing that this is the way to do things. And, all of the nasty shit is hidden from him. So he's like, yeah, of course No, the, the, and I think he's got this, you know, hilarious Russian accent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's like, okay, look, man. I, and I guess, you know, we also just don't know what level he's playing at. We talk about later, is he playing 8D chess? But like, mm-hmm. if he is just like, no, I mean, I saw that, you know, when people hit people with bats, that's bad. So I got in the way of people doing that. And that's obvious. And it's like, is that really like the extent of like how you, of your level of thinking on this? Cause like, come on. Um, Anyway, yeah. So I, know, he, uh, I like at least the idea, like when when he would say stuff like that. I had, and I'm not sure that this is how it will play out, but I like the idea that like he is very much aware of all of the problematic bits uh, that go along with his behavior, but that it's not that he hasn't considered them, but that he has like played that out eight you know moves ahead, and is like, yeah, shit gets really fucked up if I engage with all of that so for right now i'm just going to deal with there's definitely not anything ever wrong with breaking up a rape like that's cool (laughs) we don't ever have to worry about whether or not i should have done that yeah but if i get in the way of you know some inter or inter-country conflict like Mm -hmm. i'm picking a side that's different you know in, in in the case of stopping a rape or a mugging or a murder like obviously i'm doing the right thing and you know Who's going to challenge me on that? So I think he, he makes a point about doing unambiguous goods. And I like that. Um, there was, so the rest of this kind of section opens up with just kind of some place setting. It talks about, uh, this is what I like to, uh, you know, so there's like lawsuits about Superman, you know, some people pretending that they got injured. Um, I like that. Some yeah, people, it's just, Superman gets more serious constantly stuff. sued. Right. It, like, how, like, how litigious a world was it back in the 1930s? seems like it was less know. so, less so back then. Yeah. If I if I was the company that owned all the steel girders that he used to back, uh, you know, that shore up a collapsing factory, I'd be like, wait, I paid for those, right? <laughs> so I can, I can understand why. Somebody, somebody to reimburse me for this shit. What really what really needs to happen, and this is what Lex should have done if he wanted to make a fortune, was just open up Superman insurance. Um, <laughs> you know, like imagine the insurance rates in Metropolis. I don't know. Is Superman 
fights, uh, I guess, you know, whatever, he throws a car down the street and it hits 30 other cars and goes through a building. And it's like, okay, well, we can't, Superman can't pay for that because he doesn't have money and we don't know who he is. So do, do I have to pay for that out of my own pocket? No, come to LexCorp for our uh, wonderful insurance policy. We'll pay for you. <laughs> um, anyway, so I like that. And then there was apparently a Supreme Court case about whether his x-ray vision can be used to obtain a warrant or whether it's, <laughs> uh, um, you know, unreasonable search. I think so, that would fall under the, like, it would only be an unreasonable search if the cops ordered him to do it. But because he's, from a legal standpoint, just a private citizen, then he's basically just an anonymous phone tip. Yeah, but then it's like the thing, like, yeah, so he can he can do the anonymous phone tip, but is what he saw admissible? Like, in Colorado, I can't bug your house and then leave. Like, I'm allowed to carry a microphone and tape all my record, tape all my conversations, which, you know. I was going to make you a joke know about, about this because you used to be a PI, which is super interesting and way less interesting than it sounds. But yeah, you can't like you can't bug somebody it's else's just house. The kind of thing an interesting person would say. So you, basically, it's, <laughs> it's a like one- so yeah, you can't do that. But like if you did that illegally, and then the results of that became aware to the police, that can, I, think, I think would be the fact that the police didn't do it doesn't makes it still admissible, doesn't it? I don't think it would be admissible evidence. No, even though even though it wasn't like no law enforcement decided to make the you know nobody tried to do the unconstitutional thing or you know no law enforcement did it was just sort of the thing that was discovered because of the independent actions of a private citizen. I mean that all sounds super ripe for abuse, but well, you know what? We have a couple of lawyers listening to the show. We will we'll get we'll get back to you on that next week. That's true. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because yeah, because so Superman's a private citizen. If he finds out a thing. Like if somebody just calls in a you know an anonymous tip line and says, "Hey, I know this thing has has happened," and then the cops act on that information and then find out something it's like like maybe you can't treat the tip as evidence, but anything they find out that they only would have found out because they got the tip, it seems to me like that's not like all of no, that. No, yeah, be that's not what I'm talking about. Kosher. I'm talking about a different matter of like, say, if I put a camera in your house and it recorded you doing a crime and I gave that to the police. They couldn't show that to the jury. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So I guess that, but if Superman like, you know, looks into your, you know, he looks into your briefcase and sees the document that, you know, completely implicates you in having done the thing. And he goes to the cops and say, Hey, you should open up that guy's briefcase. Cause he's got a document that totally implicates him in the thing. I think the document remains admissible. I think you're right. But we'll have to get our lawyers take a look at this. I A N A L. All right. So the the last line of this of this uh, section I like. It says, "Lex Luthor existed in the background. In public, he was a champion for Superman, arguing in favor of stances he believed Superman to favor, and heading the first conference on extraterrestrial science, which of course had Superman as its sole focus. In private, he was the world's most cautious puppet master. Puppet master. And now this is plural pages in the thirty plus pages we're covering this week." Oh yes. So now, uh, now we jump to the. the so fun we level. have the yeah the stage mugging. Um, I love it. Ted I love and it. Claire, me and the one of our first co-hosts or the the first. Oh, that's right. You say you are Ted. Yeah, I'm Ted, and our first co-host for the conspiracy, Katrina, played uh, Claire. And so after we did an episode, we did this, and it was just as awkward doing it in the recording as it was for Ted and Claire, because like. You know, he angrily calls her a bitch, and I'm like, okay, I get to angrily call Katrina. <laughs> <a bitch here." laughs> 
it was it was just as so it added this extra level of like perfect and and then her like her claire role like in the way that she did the voice was like superman superman save me like she's a bad actress yeah. like claire is it was perfect in my humble opinion i think it's I, you know you just like you clued me into that uh was that that thing on netflix with nick cage with the uh like cussing oh yeah like a series documentary. one of them was bitch uh they like a whole episode on bitch um, and I think it was right around this time that like bitch, like suddenly became more of a word that people would use. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so it's kind of funny. So that I could again be, uh, yeah, like there's been <laughs> these several things going around where it seems like, like, I trust that this is historically accurate. It seems like all of this was very heavily researched. So I think it was, I, and as, as more things come up, I'll point out the ones that I know he did research. Yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so Ted and Claire are talking about like, okay, well, here's the plan. I'm going to pretend to mug you. You'll drop the charges, and if he doesn't show up, then we just get paid to do this again. And they're like, well, should we be talking about this where he can hear? And they keep using. The I know that's what kept running through my head. It was like, okay, they were, well, they're about to stage this whole line of bullshit, but they've been discussing the line of bullshit thirty seconds previous. Um, right, and you had pointed and, that that out. So, like, as this comes out, I'm like, you know, Superman seems to be totally falling for this, and you're like, or does he? Then maybe he doesn't has is not at all falling for this, but is just playing along. Uh, and I like that idea. What What I like about it is like the they're not the most cunning of like subterfuge actors here because they keep I saying. Know. Like, well, there's nowhere that Superman can't hear. It's like, quit saying Superman. If he's listening to it, probably people saying the word Superman. <laughs> like, if, at the very least, be fucking. You're going to go and assume that his alien brain still has the cocktail party effect. Which is. Oh, oh, the, uh, like, oh, somebody, if somebody says your name, that oh, you, yeah. like, you can pick it out of a, a crowd. Yeah, exactly. I think I think Lex even thinks about that. Like, all right, well, he doesn't seem to have perfect omniscience, but like a, a, a gunfire across the city does catch his attention, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like he's listening to everything like and processing it all. Uh, it might be, but Lex, Lex guesses that it's not. But instead, it's like his attention is easy to uh, direct, right? Yeah, yeah, and the, and yeah, Lex starts to sort of speculate that, like that the 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 crime underground starts getting more into stabbing and cutting because that has less of a a recognizable noise to it. Like a gunshot can be heard across Metropolis, but stab a bitch, and that just sounds like you know. Butchery. Yeah, I forget if it was in these two chapters or the last one, but they talk about how like Superman's arrival in one in some ways made the world made the city like a more brutal place in the underworld. Yeah, yeah, no, I think like, that was that was in these couple chapters. Yeah, yeah, something about like you know de- stabbing flesh sounds like carving meat, so you start stabbing a victim to death rather than shooting them, and that's a worse way to die. And that organized crime starts like trying to teach themselves foreign languages because apparently Superman, being very American, only speaks one language. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the most you know white bread American thing about him is that he refuses to learn a foreign language because he does it. it does seem to be like he's has a fairly advanced intellect like he he's understanding you know complicated concepts and um but you know I'm not going to bother to learn French <laughs> that's delightful so here's here's, here's why I so, yeah they keep calling it out like oh there's all these like you know Spanish neighborhoods that he's dealing with and it's like yeah he doesn't fucking know. <laughs> This is why I think that, can maybe hold on. Yeah, uh, what does that mean? This is why I think Superman was in on the the the, the scam here with with Ted and Claire because he shows up and he's just like, "What seems to be the problem?" He asked with a half grin on his face. He plucked the gun from Ted's hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like he shows up with you know this this smarmy smile. And he's like, 
so what's going on, you guys? Why don't you tell me what, what's what's happening here? And then straight up, he says, if you want to come make a statement, and it's like, you know, I think that's even like the phrasing that they used earlier. And he, he says Ted's name. And Ted's yeah. like, well, maybe, maybe he read How it off. How the fuck did you know my name? Yeah, because he read it off like, you know, ID in like, my pocket. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I think that he's fucking with him. I think he heard the whole thing. But he just says, very well, have a good day. And he flew up into the air carrying mm-hmm. Ted with him. I like how like they tried to be like, aha, we have something on you, Superman. Like there's all of these hostages all over the city, and if you blah blah blah, he's like, no, yeah, I'm good. Like I got that covered. I like that a lot. (laughs) I'll take care of you, fuckers, and then I'll go get them. We're good. Like I already heard them. I can hear fucking everything. Right. Like I got like 45 seconds to deal with the one over here and the one over there. Like yeah, I'm gonna tie you up and take care of them. Yeah. Are we done? Are we done here? Are we done uh, here? The, the previous section wraps up with a homeless guy watching for, from a distance and writing something in his notebook and an extremely neat handwriting. Um, so is that, I, guess, like, I guess the phrase extremely neat handwriting made me want to think that that was Lex, but it sounds like that was just a hired goon. I think, I think it's a hired goon only because I don't, I don't, I don't expect Lex would go in person and risk being noticed. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just, it's just Lex makes sure to hire, yeah. you know, highly literate goons with good handwriting and and the running theme from like here from from like here on out is lex being like yeah i loved our our talk of the latter paranoia in the last in the last book but like lex lex lives up there his whole thing is just levels and levels of being paranoid and safeguards and being careful and so like the the note that he gets he, he glances at and it's written in uh well let's see i forget Oh no, it wasn't. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. Um, he's got like his, his note here about uh, how he may, he reads through the the newspapers in the morning, and I'm guessing that the res- no, the results from that from the, the homeless guy's notes are were published in a newspaper ad or something somewhere. Yeah, and like and maybe in some weird code or something. Yeah. yeah, and that he's like that he wants to make sure that like the act of his reading those ads isn't something that you know God slash Santa Claus slash Superman can detect that he's doing um, that like, Oh, none of this behavior seems out of character for me. So I'm reading the whole thing and then I'll get any of these secret messages in the personal section of the, of the metropolis times. And, and that's what I like about like, that's the level of proper paranoia, everything. Like I love everything he does above and beyond too. And I I'll, I'll praise it as we get through it. But like he acts like Superman is always watching, even though Superman yeah. is Presumably, only seeing what he's looking at, right? He sees you when so, sleeping. Yeah, he, he he he's acting like okay. Well, let's assume that I don't have a second free from Superman's gaze. Yeah. Um, so every- that's why we need fucking lead. Yeah. So that's the best part. So they. So now we're at the this uh, this bank heist and uh, Sean Mustache Murphy and Big Paul. <laughs> yeah, and look, these guys are so like the, like the awesome caricature of like you know nineteen forties gangster movies like Sidney Grease from Nash, eh? I know, I love it. It keeps remind, uh, reminds me of that uh, John Mulaney bit about the, the Scuggins boys. <laughs> like, you, like, <laughs> as long as you weren't physically the there, when, <laughs> as long as you weren't physically there when the cops showed up, you'd get away with it. People are shooting their names into the wall. And like, let me ask you, see, Thomas was the Scuggins boys. Because what were bullets, bullets free back then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, they go in, and then one of them gets chastised for shooting their gun into the into the ceiling five times. And it was apparently, though, explicitly required by Lex. Exactly, or by to make sure that Superman hears that he shows up. Yeah, exactly. I love it so much. 
And so I don't know if I, I bet Lex orchestrated. So, you know, he orchestrated the whole bank heist and then he, he secretly had, and I mean, I, all of this I'm imagining is done through two levels of, of intermediaries, right? Yeah. Like there's no way he's sitting down and talking with these particular criminals. Yeah. So like, <laughs> then he says, okay, and you, you're split, you shoot your gun five times into the roof without telling, you know, your people that you're going to do it. And it's like, okay, well, if you say so, thanks for the $500 for telling me to do that. <laughs> um, and Lex is in the bank lobby and it was a little bit vague about it, like how he would have known the specific time he set it up that it would have happened. Like, yeah, he did. Say, so I guess, yeah, I guess we're implying in that, that he knew not just because he did say like, Oh, I'm in here all the time. It won't seem out of place that I'm in the lobby when this happens. But I guess that does, it is sort of saying though, that like he knew the specific time this would happen so that he would be in the room when it, yeah, no doubt he's set up the exact time. And so he, he comes to this bank three times a week on the same days of the week. So like, there's nothing suspicious. I love, again, in his mind, Superman is watching him and keeping a detailed log of literally everything he does. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if he if he misses, uh, uh, I don't know, whatever. Uh, ah, I couldn't think of a joke. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been like enjoying the like uncertainty in my head about, because Lex has this, so from from my like outsider point of view, Lex, Lex has this attitude or belief that if he just applies enough thought or planning or just you know anxiety towards <laughs> trying to figure out every possible outcome to any goddamn thing, that his entire universe is a potentially controllable thing as long as he can defeat it with thought. Um, and that all, and that so much of his effort and, and because he's a, you know, a person of great power and a lot of money and influence that he has all of these resources available to him, that he's now, you know, shoving all of them towards this goal of, oh my God, I've identified this. He's correctly identified this incredible threat to all of existence. Um, and is, and is now kind of embarking on the mission of, um, if I'm just smart enough, if I just think about it hard enough, if I just figure it out all well enough that I can find the solution to this, I can control the outcome to this. Um, and sort of as like a rationalist outsider looking at this, what I'm still, and I'm, I'm enjoying the ambiguity in reading it. Like, is like, are we pointing that out as a thing that's, you know what, that's just not going to work out for you, Lex, because you know, sometimes shit just happens for no good reason. Or are we trying to like, is this going to be the, the, the victory of over planning? <laughs> like, oh, if we like, oh, we can like, there, it is possible to control all the things as long as we think about them hard enough. Um, or will it be some I, third? Option? So, yeah. Some th- but it, yeah, I like, uh, it's like we've done it. Like it's a really good job of like laying out Lex as, as definitely this character that that thinks that um like the the world is a thing he can conquer with his brain yeah um, and he keeps going after it and and i like that it becomes ambiguous because if you give somebody as many of the resources that lex has that's vaguely plausible um, so now we're like, oh, you know, I don't like, where are we going with this? So I like, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting thought and, and kind of like, especially because the whole world that we're building around all of this is now then subject to the, you know, sort of, you know, extreme levels of kind of power and influence and money that Lex is able to, to bring to it. So it's, we're kind of in this, like, it, it then kind of brings up the whole idea of like, 
how controllable is the universe just generally speaking you know if given the infinite resources of a Lex Luthor um, how much can you deal with the problem of a Superman in the world I think part of that's like just the conceit of superhero stories too like I mean Batman has a similar vibe going on Lex Luthor OG has a similar thing going on like it you know the idea that like look I've got all the brain and, and money I need what can I do to solve this problem I think that's a fairly cons- you know, consistent trope in superhero stories um but yeah I uh I I'll ne- I think I'm gonna keep that phrase forever throwing up anxiety at this problem <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Superman shows just up just worry about it hard enough right they they said like no we've got hostages and he says I don't negotiate and he pulls out like this uh little whatever tin of lead out of this guy's pocket like a like a yeah. card case and uh then crushes it with his hand so he can read the note and and we don't get to hit, see like see or like we know that there's something significant about what he saw in there but we don't get any clue at all to what it actually was well i think that said we've, we've got hostages then he's looking for clues for where are the hostages and i imagine oh, really? that were, yeah i think it was on a piece Is of paper that- Oh, yeah. And I guess Lex set all of that up. Like Lex wanted all of that to be a solvable puzzle for him because he was trying to lead him into other situations. Exactly. And so then Leroy spits at him and says, what are you going to kill us? Are you some kind of pussy? And Superman's like, nope. And then he just like ties him up and leaves. And then that that was kind of that was like a flex. Well, it wasn't like a flex in the fact that it wasn't a flex. And like he's not concerned about like trying to impress the guy like his is attempt to like make Superman feel like a pussy is like, you know what? I'm really not at all worried about your opinion about my manlyhood. Right. <laughs> so he's like, no, I'm not going to hurt you. I am very secure of masculinity. Thank you. Thank you. We're done here now. Enjoy yeah. your imprisonment. And then we get like the little, uh, um, little reveal where Lex is sitting on the floor with the other, other customers all scared. And um, he, he might, then, then we get the line break and it's back to Lex and he's like, yeah, you know, being at the robbery is a risk, but he wanted to see the Man of Steel at least once. And, you know, I was there three times yeah, a week. Yeah, I guess this is the first time he's seen him in person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, so what we get here is like, uh, like this long description of, of how he takes notes. And um, it's it's this, this whole thing was weird to me. <laughs> and so there, there's a couple things I like about it. And we'll, I want to talk about it again, or maybe just I'll save everyone the the time of listening to it twice and just say this applies to at least three other points in this this week's uh readings but um like this is showing its work right and it's it's above and beyond it's outlandish and it's awesome uh so like what i like about it is that it's it's not just saying lex had a very safe and secure way of making sure that he could you know send notes to himself that superman couldn't detect like that that wouldn't have been fun and so instead, we get this long description. Like, did you read The Martian? Uh, no, I haven't. I read the first couple chapters, and then for some reason, I gave up on it. But well, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't even because it was bad. It just I don't know. Reality well, intruded. That's and maybe then what subconsciously turned out, turned you off from it is what I one of the things I loved about it. But like down the you saw the movie, right? The movie's great. So. The like in the book is similar like the movie, but he do, he goes way more into like every problem that he has. You know, he maps out how much water he has to make this trip. When he's when he's talking about his potato farm, he's literally talking about how many calories per day he needs, how many potatoes he can grow. And I to me, totally that, get into that. Like that's, yeah, it's, yeah, that that's what this is. Like it's it's showing it's really all- Dungeons and Dragons feeling about that. Like you know, you got your player character sheet all filled out. Yeah, and, and he's just like, no, no, 
here's exactly how I did what I did. And OCD kind of satisfaction to it. It also feels like vaguely Mythbusters to me. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. Mythbusters, you know, it it's a stretch, but they're like, I think it's basically like a rational three intelligent or like a level three intelligent character show. Yeah, and, and it's a lot like what feels common between this and HPMOR is that, and, and, and the difficult balance to achieve is like that paying attention to all the tiny little details, if done in a spirit of fun and like, isn't it cool to think about all of these things is super appealing and really fun and just nerdy and awesome. Um, and as long as you can like play, it's a difficult game to play the line between doing that and just getting sort of really negative and, and, you know, trying to rip something apart for any particular fault it might have and do it. Cause any, you know, any attempt to build any kind of universe is going to be imperfect and have things about it that, that don't work. Like, it's kind of like walking that line between it's fun to think about these things and, and play it a lot as almost an act of respect for the universe. Like, I believe this is a real thing. So let me play it out entirely. Like, when the spirit of that is, you know, sort of fun and like playing things out, that that is, I mean, it is fun. It's it's kind of it's interesting and and great to kind of it's like a way to you know dig even deeper into the universe that that's been built. Um, and then the dangerous part though is like sometimes that crosses into like the thing in my head that always stuck out was like, oh, the time turner in HP in in Harry Potter was such a bullshit piece of plot, blah blah blah, and there would have been all these like when it turns into like this tearing down vibe of like oh you dumbasses why would you think this like that's the weird like like fine line you have to like trying to make sure you don't drop into that level of it but like that whole thing about just sort of like oh you know what let me just take you on your word about what this world is like and then let's keep thinking about it way more than it would have occurred to you to do. Like, that's just super fun as, as long as it sort of stays positive and, and kind of like giving to the universe that that's built up. Like that part's super fun. And so, and that, and that's, and we've been doing a good job here. Like it's been saying like that there hasn't been a whole lot of like, Oh, not even a whole lot. There hasn't been any yet of like, you know, it would be very easy for this to turn into like Lex Luthor shitting on the universe he exists in. Sure. Um, and that hasn't, that hasn't been happening. It's just been sort of like, like this fun of like, Oh, let's just keep, let's just dive deeper. Let's take that one even level deeper than that. Like, what would that be like? Um, so that's been really fun about it. Yeah. I'll maintain that. I think basically all of the like world building, ripping apart and methods of rationality was done in the spirit of fun. Like, so it, it, yeah. it takes the absurd thing of, of the time machine that is only ever used to go to, go to classes and save an animal. And like, it's like, all right, let's, Let's 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 take that up. Let's let's take that into its little pieces and see what kind of crazy fun we can have with it. I, I get the impression that it was all done with like a a grin and of of just like nerdy enjoyment, thinking about the nuances of uh, time travel that makes sense, right? Yeah, I think it's hard to. I mean, so yeah, that's entirely true. And then, but it's also sometimes hard to differentiate between. Because I got the impression in HPMOR, and I've, I, a little bit, especially when he went off on, I think I, I did get the impression when he was like the super detailed description of all of the ways in which he had his notes recorded in some place. Like it almost feels like you're in this adversarial relationship with the folks reading it that are in preparation to tear it apart, um, and that you're sort of trying to make sure you don't leave any holes in it for them to to, to rip up. That like that sort of like. Um, I, I mean, it was just like this 
slight hint at this. Um, I, I mean, I'm really liking the tone and, and kind of the vibe to everything that's been going on so far. Um, but like, there's this having to like, there's like just that toxic end of the big publicly mediated, you know, chat room vibe to, um, you know, that, that thing that brings out the worst in people that like trying to find any little hook to tear something down maybe, um, and then trying to, to defend against it. So that I'm like, um, so no, I mean, it's actually been, been, you know, like, it's been almost entirely the, the vibe of like, Oh, isn't it just this fun to just, you know, be ridiculous in the levels that you think about this stuff. Cause that's, that's just fun. There's still is that, just that, that little bit of thing that, that kind of, that just that vibe that crops up every once in a while of just almost like the adversarial relationship with your audience. I, um, I wonder where we've like abandoned the, the contract of please suspend your disbelief and I will tell you a tall tale. Um, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep a pin in that as we go through the story. I, I like, I know. So, uh, I mean, we can't ask him. He's active on the Beijing conspiracy discord. Um, what's his name today? Have I seen him? Alexander Wales. Uh, I guess. Maybe uh, then. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he also did an interview on the methods of rationality podcast earlier in this feed, uh, with Inyash after he did the audiobook, um, which is full spoilers, but you know, you can listen to that once we're done with this and, uh, done with the story. And then see, and if we have any questions left for him, maybe we can talk him into coming on here and talking with us. But um, in my mind, he's having just fun with it. Like, I know that when... Uh, no, it's, I mean, it's definitely like, yeah, I want to make yeah. sure I don't sound like too negative about the whole thing. No, 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 it's no. Been, it, it very much feels like on the sort of, let's just have fun. Like, this is super fun to think about. And like, thank you for setting up this universe for us to like get all nerdy with. Yeah, um, I think I think there's a way to throw that line. Like Andy Weir was on uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, podcast, Star Talk Radio, some years and years ago, and uh, you know Neil deGrasse Tyson's famous or infamous for like ripping apart science and movies where it really doesn't need ripping apart. It's Guardians of the Galaxy, like get a grip. <laughs> um, uh, when he was talking to Andy about it, about his book, or uh, was the, I think it was the book and the movie. He he had said, you know, there was like the science in this was great, and he's like, thanks. I wrote it in part with you ripping it in mind apart, or part. <laughs> I, wrote it, I wrote it with you ripping it apart in mind. Like I wanted to make sure that you know there'd be nothing for Neil deGrasse Tyson to come in here and say, oh, this was wrong. So, but like that doesn't come through to me in the in the story. It just comes through like that he was just having this nerdy, awesome time with it, and then maybe did some fact checking. Um, and that, yeah, and that was very you know that that was like the majority of the vibe here. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I wish, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a hard line to, you know, try to navigate. Um, totally. But yeah, to, like to the extent that it starts to feel like, oh, you're in a little bit, I don't know how much of this is just me projecting shit into it, but like it, uh, sometimes there's like a tiny element of almost being defensive and then it sort of like adds this sort of level of anxiety to the whole thing of like, oh, the author's like worried about getting picked apart. Um, and like, I don't want to worry about that any more than the author wants to worry about that. Um, so, and, and it's a, you know, a very subjective difference between it's fun to think about these things versus like, Oh, fuck off you nerds. <laughs> like, you know, quit picking this apart. Like that's, it's the difference between those things is and like, for the most part, just in a question of just attitude. Um, so. yeah, I, I heard you saying, and I don't, I don't have much more to say on it other than like, I would guess that if Alexander wrote this for himself and never put it online, that it would be the exact same. I, I get the impression that it was fun to think about and that's why it's in the story. Yeah. And that's uh, like, yeah. And that's super like, that's 
that's most of like the vibe I've been getting is like, Oh, we're just, you know what? This is just fun. It's like just fun to think about these things. Yeah. And and the other thing too, is that like, this wasn't as public, I think when it was like coming out chapter to chapter as methods of rationality, I think that's a much more reasonable thing. It's to getting think the, like is, microscope on it. Exactly. It's like, all right. I, and Eliezer even said it himself. He's like, people looked hard at methods of rationality. Yeah. Right. And so if he left plot holes, people are going to point them out. Um, I think that this was, uh, this, this, I think it was written in the same spirit, but for fun. But I want to move past that because I want to talk about uh, there's this awesome little bit that in the audiobook, um, the uh, like it, it switches kind of just from narrating to like putting like this backdrop of ominous music and reads it like in a different cadence. So Lex is talking about like the security precautions involved of, you know, how securitous the securitous route of all this paranoia and about, around the surveillance and all the cryptography and all that. And he says that he could have. It was likely that Lex could have skated by on lesser security precautions than he took, but he'd woken up to nightmares of having his skull crushed between Superman's hands too many often or, or too many times. In the dream, he was just one in a long line of people that stretched out on either side of him, an endless number know, of people. Yeah, that was a very, and it felt very dreamlike. And I don't know, it was just something weird. Like it was such sort of like weird and surreal of, yeah. like, oh, I'm like one of this like infinite population of people getting their skulls crushed by Superman. Um, like it, it, did a good job of like sort of communicating kind of the existential fear that Lex is feeling and just yeah. the, the kind of weird illogical way that that presented itself. The alien did the work calmly and cleanly and know, Lex was, the only one was trying to fight back. And it's like, what I like about that and too. He's the, yeah. Was, yeah. He's the only one fighting back that that stuck out to me too. Like, Oh, that's yeah. that, like, that's strange. It, it shows how he's modeling himself in the situation. And it shows what at least a large part of his motivation is, which is that he's fucking terrified. Right. Yeah. This, yeah. this is, I'm not, and I'm loving so far. Like I do not get Lex. Um, but like in that, that like, Oh, it's like, it, this is way more complicated than like, we haven't been given this, you know, simplistic, you know, portrayal of what Lex is like. Like, so he's afraid of Superman and it's like most, mostly Lex seems very dry so far, but like all of his motivations so far are very easy to sympathize with. Like he, there's been a little bit of like, Oh, I'm planning on killing Superman um, for selfish reasons. But for the most part uh, we've been not given a very in-depth insight into like his core motivations, but to the extent that we get it at all, it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm on board Lex. That makes sense. Like, and so I'm liking that, like, oh, he's doing like evil shit, but like, you know what? So far you haven't said anything that offends me terribly. Yeah. I love it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. And then the, this was the part that, that we both pulled out uh, in the notes where, um, you know, all the, so like it explains how he set up everything about the bank and the, the lead line jewelry case and um, all these, all that these men knew was that they're being paid. Strings have been pulled and messages had been sent. The end result was that Lex Luthor discovered that Superman couldn't see through lead. More than anything, he was upset that something so stupid had worked. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I keep like, uh, and this is very similar to my, what I was thinking back in HBMR with Quarrel that like, like very, the, the writer like is calling out and making sure that we notice the weird inconsistencies. Like he's pointing at like, Hey, this is dumb that nobody is seeing this. Right. So we're not hiding it at all. So, and then that keeps, you know, pointing me towards like, okay, this is some extra scary power that, that Superman has, I guess like it wasn't about this, but it, it reminded me of the same thing. Uh, and you and I went around about, about this last week was, um, 
the idea that super that Clark sits next to Lois eight hours a day, every single goddamn day, and then she goes up to the roof and talks to him, but in a leotard, like there's no level of let me act less muscular that's going to make you think that that's not fucking Clark Kent. Um, that that like, and I, I and I had the same thing with with Quirrell that like, oh, the fact that nobody, that it does not occur to anybody that Quirrell is Voldemort seems fucking ridiculous. And that just points to like, oh, that's just among his powers is to make people overlook the obvious. Um, so I'm wondering, wondering if that's the same, but like, that seems like it adds sort of a, like both in the, in, in the, almost exactly the same thing that I thought with Quirrell was that like, it sort of implies a level of power of what, he, of what's going on with him and that, and kind of a, uh, like a, a underlying sinisterness to it, like, like oh, you know what? You, you went up, you went up to the top of the roof, and you talked to a dude in a leotard. That and his the only difference in his appearance is that maybe he's standing up with a better posture. He, you know, flipped the lock on his hair down, and he's not wearing glasses. But other than that, he looks like the dude that you spend eight hours every goddamn day with. And it doesn't occur to you that it's not the same guy. Like that just sort of implies a level of I'm in your head and controlling what you think that is like, it's kind of awesomely sinister and impressive. And like, and so I hope it, cause it seems like we sort of like, like we split the difference with Quirrell back in HPMOR. Like maybe that's what he was doing, but maybe not like, it seemed like he did so many things that were so obviously like, dude, I'm fucking evil and you should all notice this. Or, you know, even if you don't notice the evil part, like you should notice that I'm, you know, probably the second most powerful wizard in the world. Like the fact that nobody noticed that, um, like stuck out as a like conspicuous. Um, and it seemed like we sort of acknowledged that, but kind of sort of didn't. And we were kind of somewhere in the middle. And I'm wondering if that's where we're with this too, that like, Cause it's so like when, like in the OG Superman, um, but like the Christopher Reeves and the George Reeves, like, like, because there was so much other like bullshit, we were just, you know, asked to swallow. Um, like that part didn't seem like, like a big deal. Like it was just sort of like, yeah, we know this is ridiculous, but you know, just go with it and we'll tell you a story. Um, but because we're, you know, so much analyzing every little thing here, um, and because it seems like like the author's so you know making sure we notice every little inconsistency, and either giving us an explanation or making sure that we continue to be unsatisfied with the lack of an explanation, this one sticks out to me as like uh, like we better make good on this. Like I I want to know why it doesn't occur to Lois that Superman and Clark look like exactly the same fucking dude but with better posture. Um, I hope we find a good resolution. Yes. All right, and I think like, I'm guessing we will because it seems like he's he's calling it out quite a bit. Um, so it, like this is not enough for like oh let, like let me just sort of act a little different and like puff up my chest a little more when I'm in one situation or the other that like and we're portraying Lois as you know very hyper competent and aware and and noticing everything in a world that like if it's just that like oh I didn't notice that he looks the same I'm I'm going to be disappointed. But I don't think that's where we're going because it seems like he's calling it out. So I think we're going to get some kind of explanation. I mean, I uh, I hope we 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 have a good resolution and or conversation if and when anything like that comes to the surface. Um, like I 
and I want to move past it because I do want to, you know, get through this chapter and or finish this episode in under two and a half hours. <laughs> Someday. But, uh, like, I think that the the leap to, you know, and again, she doesn't spend all this time next to Clark. Like, they work as, as field reporters and they share an office space. And yes, they sit next to each other. Oh, they have their desks right next to each other. Yeah. So they, they've been next to each other for a couple of months, but they both spend a lot of the time in the field, right? So she's not. Right, okay. No, so, do, so you and I have talked together quite a bit, but we've been in each other's physical presence, not so much. What are the odds that there's some level of posturing and or even fucking makeup I could put on myself where I could then put on a leotard in front of you and you wouldn't be like, oh shit, Brian, what are you doing in a fucking leotard? Like, that's think- just not going to happen. I think you and I are more primed to be aware of that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I'm not buying it. Like, I'm no, just, it's just like, I like this is the dude I see every day. All right. So, uh, so, 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 so he's got this long plan about, uh, well, like, okay. So he, he knows that that lead blocks Superman's vision for some fucking reason. And <laughs> so he's like, okay, well, I don't have to understand how I just need to know that it does. So what, what do you do so that you can line your room with lead and hide from Superman? Well, you can't just line your room with lead because it's like telling your parents and your kid, sure, you can come look in my room, but don't look under the bed, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I have to get everybody to line their room with lead. Exactly. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you get everyone to do that? You move a lot of mountains and pay off a lot of people to get some bullshit, you know, scientific paper put, you know, published and then read by somebody across the planet who is, you know, told, hey, take this, you know, this is real, take this seriously and start. Um, and he makes it sound like it was written by the Unabomber so that nobody would look too closely into who the hell is this guy because right. <laughs> he's just some crazy fuck. <laughs> and as you put it, uh, this plays out in a collapsed span of time. It does. I'm not like, cause it, it takes some weeks maybe. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. It's just that, like, I'm just willing to like, as, as long as I'm not like, as long as somebody tries to convince me about the realism of the uh, conceit, I'm willing to overlook it. But yeah, cause it seems like, because, and, and we're not given like a, you know, a very specific idea of like how this timeline has been playing out, but it feels like, Oh, like just within a week or two, you know, he's able to publish a scientific article and then, you know, get some other guy to build a business around it so he can buy shit from him. Um, like none of that seemed very hyper realistic, but I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. It. I think that it, 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 Oh, you know, there's the only time it mentions the time is that it says, uh, like after the papers mailed to the office and this Dutch business guy with no connection to Luther, makes a big show of buying uh, stocks in lead mining companies. Um, like it says after that, within two weeks, that guy announces to the world that lead conclusively stops Superman's vision and publicly challenges the man of steel to demonstrate otherwise. Uh, so we get the impression that it's something I'm guessing like a month. Um, you know, yeah. Cause not, nobody builds up like a brand whole new business in a single digit number of weeks. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so some amount of time, um, and then I'm, I am willing to suspend my disbelief. From, what was that? I am willing to suspend my disbelief. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I think that we're supposed to get the impression as the story goes on that this the story is taking place over the course of many months. Like this isn't still Superman's first month in Metropolis. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it just sort of like fits with the idea that like Lex is you know playing eight dimensional chess and planning these things out you know super in advance, and this is the. You know, he's willing to commit a bunch of resources to getting this thing done. Um, so, yeah. And it just doesn't work narratively to like, oh, and then we waited five months for this one plot point to advance. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, it omits that line. But I get the impression that time is passing. Um, 
then there was, uh, I just like that, you know, at the end of this whole long explanation, it says that, uh, he, you know, the, the guy, Navas, began seeing a trickle of customers. One of the first of these was Lex Luthor. And <laughs> it's like, you know, the whole well, time- clearly has nothing to do with any of this prior to having gotten in here. But yeah, it's like, he's like, he's acting like, oh, I just read in the newspaper that I can keep Superman from, you know, uh, reading my papers in my office. Well, might as well, you know, buy up some, some lead then and let's do that. Like he set all this up so he could put lead in his fucking office. <laughs> right? it, I love it. Um, and he like rips all the walls out of his office so that he can like, you know, slap some lead in there and then put his walls back. Right. Which weirdly right. So uh, dumb, stupid uh, segue. I went to UC San Diego where we have, they were, what was it called? The singing trees. They had eucalypt, dead eucalyptus trees, which they then uh, covered in uh, plates of, of lead. They like nailed little, little plates of, of lead, not lead foil, a little thicker than that. Um, so then you had this entire, you had a lead tree uh, standing up in the middle of this whole eucalyptus grove. And then they stuck some speakers in it and had it like reciting uh, beat poetry at you. So you'd walk through there at like three in the morning drunk as one does in college and, uh, and the singing trees, I think is what it was called. Hmm. So yeah, here you go. So lead, but yeah, you'd walk up to the thing. It was like, the thing was entirely, uh, it was like lead and like roof nails. You West coast hippies. I love it. I know. Um, so we get a, a break to, uh, or a line break scene change to, um, Lex and, uh, Lois having another interview. And this is about like, I, 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 I get the impression we kind of start in the middle of the conversation, but, you know, he's like, well, of course, just Superman. That's not really the point, is it? Um, so you you summarize this a little bit too in the notes, and I'll let you drive. Um, lost where the hell we are. All right, I'll keep going until you find where we were. <laughs> um, so uh, he says, like, yeah, I trust Superman, but do you believe he's perfectly good? And she's and Lois, like, perfectly. That's a high standard, but he's as close as we're going to get. It's like, yeah, of course. You know, he's he he seems great, and I, of course, I believe that because I'm a good American Superman loving patriot. Um, but that said. You know, isn't there, you know, isn't okay to, you know, would you say it's reasonable to take precautions against the possibility that, you know, he might act in an unconscionable way someday? And he, she's like, well, sure. But is that worth all the money that you're spending on this? He's like, first of all, I'm fucking rich. Like, I got a lot of money. Yeah. And second of all, like, you know, there's, there's secret stuff in here. Like I've got patents, ideas and all this stuff. And then he, uh, he, he moves the goalposts a bit to say like, okay, well, sure. Superman, he's perfect. Let's not talk about him. What if someone reverse engineers his way to see through walls? Like, I don't want my intellectual property being stolen. This just seems like a very prudent thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? And I find it- Yeah, all of this sounded like like just trying to convince Lois of like, like, so Lex has the entirely valid concern that like, you know, Superman could end life as we know it. um, And we're only all here because he decides we should continue to be here. But he doesn't want to say that. So he's trying to come up with these other arguments, which like they sort of sound valid, but they're not really what's what he's worried about. Like he's not worried about his intellectual property being stolen. Right. So what I like is that he's he's painting what to me sounds like an unassailable case for why it makes sense to have like security, even if you trust the 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 overlord. Right. So I, I, I really like the way that he sets it all up that way. Um, and it's funny, like that's the interesting bit is like to the extent that we have any understanding at all of who Superman as a person is, he fully deserves that level of trust. So then we're stuck with facing like does anybody like, okay, yeah, you've given us the only single person that's so white bread that they deserve that level of trust. But even if you do that, is that a good idea? It seems like that's not a good idea. 
Yeah, I think that like what I just love about it so much is that everything that Lex is doing, all this puppeteering and subterfuge, and that everything that he he does, you know, that he says and does in plain English is just perfect plausible deniability. And so he can look and be like, well, if if the court will read back the transcript, or I mean, if Superman will read back the transcript, you'll you'll see that I never said or did anything that you know. Yeah. Anyone who well, that's what's super interesting. Like up to this point, like nothing Lex has done. Do I like? I'm on board. Like I'm on Team Lex so far. I know. Like, I don't have a lot of like sympathy for him as a person, but like you know what? I you know what that that all makes sense, dude. Keep keep on trucking. Speaking of sympathy for people, how do you feel about Harry Kramer? Harry, oh dude, this uh, well, so he's awesome because he's creepy as fuck. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I really like this character. Um, so yeah, yeah, we open up uh, chapter four with Harry Kramer, and like because he describes, uh, yeah, and I guess I put in the notes that like he's like it's a very Joker kind of vibe that like he enjoys. And I had a teacher back in high school describe it like, uh, you know, sometimes we just like kicking over sandcastles just for the sake of kicking over sandcastles. Oh, great, um, and I know, right? Like, there's some which is cool because you can you can kind of relate like. You know, even if you don't want to, you know, entirely identify with that, like we can all kind of understand that a little bit. But he's sort of like the pure embodiment of that. Like, like he has sort of fetishized the the act of destruction, um, and like he sort of like he said, and like, oh, it's not sexual, which entirely means that it's sexual, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like orgasmic. He hasn't sort of sexualized it. He just says, like, how could someone not see that there's something magical that only that only existed in that single solitary moment when a product of labor and thoughtful and a thoughtful mind became nothing more than garbage? It's it's not sexual, know, yeah. but it's organic. It's not sexual, but I think about it when yes, I touch yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, yeah, definitely. Like it, it had a huge Joker vibe to it in that. Oh yeah, like the, the like nihilism for the sake of nihilism um but like destruct like destruction is its own and 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 kind of just which is weird and it did a good job of like like not that you thoroughly identify with it but like you can get it like oh i do kind of get that like oh let's just blow shit up like oh it's fun to watch the thing just get fucking destroyed like you yeah, get that. Like, you know, I used to have fun, you know, break, like I built things out of like those big toy Legos when I was a kid, then have fun breaking them. And yet, like, I think that's a normal thing, you know, breaking sticks or whatever, right? I grew up before cell phones. So sticks was a very big part of my childhood. And so like, that was a lot of fun. And yet, like, you, you can read this and relate to it. And you're like, oh, this guy's way too into it, though. And so yeah, and then it got then it got super weird with so then he it. has this whole bizarre fantasy because it's so like disconnected from reality of like oh there's going to be some other bomber chick but and like and we, like he gets halfway through this description before he even decides that like oh that's you know a female bomber chick but he's going to have like you know his own weird little fantasy of you know the the chick that's as crazy and nihilistic as him that also likes you know making bombs and is going to appreciate you know the artistry that he puts into his bombs and that's going to like get her off and make her want to fuck him um and it's very like incel feeling of like this just this she's this abstract concept of like oh i'm the you know chick that wants to be your girlfriend it's just like it's weird it's unhinged it has like it's not at all convincing as a thing that would really happen it's just so it's this great like it just makes so little sense. Um, but in, but 
combined with like sort of the emotional intensity he feels about it. That is just like, ah, oh, this dude's just a fucking psycho. So, I love yeah, it. I, I love this line. I think my, my, I guess he's, he still is a little bit two dimensional because he's a fucking psycho, but I think he might be my favorite character so far just because he's just kind of so fucking out there. It's like, that's awesome. Yeah. He, he's great. And like, like you said, the whole thing about it is just like, I don't know. It's for, for, or for me, it's like, he's just way too into it. And like, yeah, right? it'd be fun. And like, especially, you know, and if you like building bombs, like awesome, but you know, he's like, so then yeah, Lex mails him a stack of cash and he's like, oh, no longer will I have to cobble something together from bits and pieces. I get to make something beautiful. And, you know, you can just, you can hear his pants stretching with his excitement. <laughs> exactly. I, it, it's perfect. Um, then uh, it, it cuts to, um, I thought I had something. I know, there's something so like, like, like the name Harry Kramer is so like, oh, you got beat up in high school. <laughs> it was like, you, I, like it's just such a convincing character. Like, oh, you're just a fucking psycho. <laughs> Love it. All right, so we have a uh, um, a line break to. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the build up to like, oh, Lex has hired you to start building bombs and shit. Um, and then we cut to we're we're back to Lois and, and Clark and uh, and the first of these bombs has has gone off. And the the line that, that stuck out to me was so I so it's like uh, Lois and Clark are at the I can't like every time I say that name it's on the the on purpose Lewis and Clark. Me too. I was I was going to call that out. I know. Like I like I, I think uh, I apparently that was on purpose even from the beginning back in forever ago. Um, but yeah, then you're like, oh, stop it, get out of my head. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Clark and Lois, um, like they're at the first. Uh, blow up and we get and at least for me like the, the point of the scene was to to see uh, Clark uh, d- d- so for us to see like okay this is Clark but we know this is you know this is Superman pretending not to be Superman um, and this uh, and I'm not sure if it was right here but we we get a little insight later that like Clark has this like quite unhealthy unrequited crush on Lois um, and so in part of it tied together for me, at least that the clerk is like, uh, so the line was what makes a person do a thing like this? Um, which is, it's sort of like a, you know, another demonstration of the level of wonder bread in Superman. <laughs> um, but also like, but like the sincerity of it, that was like, he's, he, like it, he doesn't get that. And that, the the, his, you know, truth, justice and American way thing is not an affectation. Like he really, and his like, oh, why do you do good for the sake of doing good? Like, none of that is fake. Um, and that he really doesn't like on a visceral level, the dude doesn't get why somebody would do shit, do evil shit for the sake of doing evil shit. Um, which is what this looks like, and which is totally what Harry Kramer is. But the motivation behind this is Lex Luthor, which has a motivation which is problematic, let's say, but but not um you know not impossible to understand um but from you know from clark's perspective at this point this is just an act of sadism and he doesn't get it um, yeah and i i love the the double like the, the 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 multiple levels to that because clark doesn't get why somebody do this he's from smallville kansas you know like who, who yeah. this? i it, and it makes me wonder like does superman know exactly why someone's you know being a sadistic piece of shit like he listens to people you know and is, and is that like a whole is that like is that a lack 
there's a deficit in in Superman. Like do, you need to understand how psychopaths work if you're gonna like try to make shit better. Um, and for him, it's just like this fucking mystery. Yeah, he doesn't understand either, how nihilism works. What I like is that we don't know. Is that either it's that or it's that he just he's playing Clark Kent and Superman yeah. is fully in on on how fucked yeah. up people are. But and, uh, yeah, and I like how we don't know. Like right now, we don't we don't know. Like is this the Superman not get it or is this just Superman pretending to not get it? Yeah, that's that's what um, I enjoy. We're doing a great job of like both of the, like either of those for me at least seem equally possible. I know it's awesome. Yeah. And then there's this description of how, which I know you don't buy and we'll move past it because we've had that, but where like Clark, it's describing Clark, you know, he never learned to buy clothes that fit. He had terrible posture. His hair was messy. He was always getting sick, which we know is probably him out solving crimes um, or fighting crime rather. Um, and he was so out of shape that whenever they had to move quickly, he could be seen gasping for air. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's not whenever we had to run up a flight of stairs, it's whenever we had to move quickly. And so I, I didn't call this out in the last episode, but I meant to. When I picture Superman in this story, I don't picture Henry Cavill. I picture like the insanely box-chested guy from the cover of the comic books, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I imagine like he, you know, so it, it sort of describes that in this, he disguises his super bulk as just like excess weight. Like he's, so he, he buys like really heavy clothes and he just acts like this really heavy out of shape dude. And so then when he puts on the leotard, it's clearly, you know. How do they, I'm like, I'm wondering like, Neither you or I are DC folk, but like, how in the DC world do they get around this thing that like fucking Clark Kent looks exactly like Superman? Like, is they do they have they come up with some other thing? I like the idea that he's got this like quarrel power of just like mind fuckery and make you not worry about it. But I don't know if that's where where we're going to go with it. I'm going to be disappointed if it's just like, oh, like, you know, if you just, you know, walk around like you're the hunchback of Notre Dame, nobody's going to notice that you look exactly the fucking same. Um, <laughs> so but like like do you know did they do something to address that in the comic books i have no idea we will have to yeah, I mean, somebody will tell us but yeah All right. so but yeah I'm, i mean that's like in any other uh like that's a, like if you try to go more rationalist like that's the the cost that you made is like you have to explain that one if you're if we're going to make everybody show their work on every other goddamn thing like this one is sticks out like so much of a sore thumb like you have to deal with it um so I hope they don't just try to like, you know, white, whitewash that one. We'll, see. We'll, we'll find a way to find, we'll find a way to talk about that with people who know more I, about this than I, I do. I will be disappointed. I also just wanted to use the word super bulk because I was happy I thought of it. Super bulk. Nice. Nice. Uh, all right. So, uh, he, yeah, it says that he's got this, you know, sad crush on Lois and, um, she, she answers like, well, you know, some people are just evil. And he's like, I don't think a person is born a certain way. You know, people make choices for good or evil. Free will is part of God's design. He's just the most milquetoast person. Where is he supposed to be from? Where, where is Smallville? Nebraska, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah, Nebraska. Like, <laughs> let, me get, let me gain some hate. By the, eh, Nebraska, Kansas, same goddamn thing. It's true. Yeah, but corn. Yep. It's in a place where corn grows. Yeah, the right. So when he said, the right, I, I'm pretty sure it's emo film. Says, Nobody is born evil, except maybe the Antichrist. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, like it still does at least call back to like he's got this, like, and we still don't know yet, like how valid is Superman's moral compass, but he definitely has one. Um, and then he's like, okay, whoever is doing these things is a person that is, you know, made 
decisions that are immoral. They're not like, we're not going to excuse this as like, he's not a product of his environment. Like this was, you know, fucked up and whoever did this is bad. Yeah, that's a good point. He's a big believer in free will. Um, yeah. and I like, and again, again, when I like, like, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I don't know where I land on that yet, but he didn't say something that I'm like, Oh, that's not true. I'm like, mm, maybe you might be right. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just push past the, the, my, my position there take five minutes to unpack here. So um, <laughs> rather than do that, we'll just point out that uh, Lois has some design and looks at a, a separate arm in the rubble that no one picked up yet. And I know that was gross. And they, they're back at the Daily Planet building when the second bomb goes off exactly six hours after the first. Uh, and uh, when she goes to the scene, she overhears one of the onlookers say that it was a tragedy that people had died because they stayed late to work. And she made sure to put that in her article. And then I don't know what it is about this next line, but it, it jumps out at me every time. It's the beginning of a paragraph. There's no line break or anything. It just says the third bomb exploded in Superman's face. And like, I don't know, like, it, I guess called out later, but yeah. It, it, well, just for me, it just, it like switches the context from like, you know, I, I, I can't put my finger on it. It's just like, oh yeah. So these bombs are going off and then, oh yeah, there's this God man flying around and it, the next one blows up right in his face. I, I, I can't, I, I, I called it out in the notes and I didn't, I still failed, you know, with two hours of being able to think about it, uh, find a way to articulate what it is that I love about that. Well, but, it, yeah. Well, it's, it's, like, it's just like a, like that it's just a few words to describe something like super graphic, but also, and we do get called out later that, um, cause I'm not, I don't think at this point we know that like all the bombs are encased in lead so he can't see them. Um, but that gets pointed out to us explicitly later. Um, so it was that, and, and he knows what's going on that it blew up in his face and he knew at the point that it happened, that it was intended to blow up in his face um, that they had like hidden it from him that like, in, you know, encased in lead so that he would, you know, overconfidently just bust the thing open and let it, and let it blow up. Um, that yeah. Like, like it does. Yeah. And it does work as like a, it's sort of a demonstration of the, like the, the stakes have been increased. Like, okay, now we're actively trying to kill you. Like we didn't really think it would work, but you know, we're not fucking around anymore. Like we are like, Oh, let's see if this will kill him. Nope. I think it's it's partly that, and it's partly just like in my head. I picture it like in the like the bright colors of the comics or the those those the shows. I never saw the I never read the comics, but the the cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like when Superman and Lois are there, imagine them wearing you know like brown you know coats and and standing there like normal people. And then you get a yeah, scene, a good comic panel, bright colors, and this explosion. I don't know. It's it's great. I know. Yeah. No. I could now that you're saying, I could totally picture that. Like you know, just like flames and like a very kind of kinetic explosion in a particular direction against his face. Um, yeah. Yeah. I could totally picture that now. Yeah. But then that's a good, that's a great panel. That's a good visual. I like it. Yeah. It, that, it's a good panel. Maybe that's what I'm trying to articulate yeah. there. I can see all the detail of it. Yeah. All right. So then the next bomb, cause Lois can do math is going to come at six in the morning. So uh, she gets <laughs> up at five to anticipate it. And then when it blows up, she goes across town and, She's all stoked that she beat Clark there, as you put, because yeah. she thinks he's like his job. <laughs> I know, cause, yeah, because she's like, ah, oh, fucking Clark didn't figure out that they're happening every six hours. I was like, no, Clark figured it out, definitely. And he made sure that Superman was there. Um, so then uh, we get a cut. Yeah, Clark sucks at his job. Right. We get a, we get a kind of a, um, a, a zoom out, and it's like, okay, well, uh, four bombs went off. Not that many people died. I think it was six. And then a few days go by, nothing happens. and. 
Uh, everyone's starting to finally relax. And then, boom, there's a letter on Lois's desk uh, saying, Dear Lois, can you come talk to me? Love, Superman. And uh, she's got her list of questions that she put together from the last time. And um, she goes up to tell Perry, like, hey, I'm going to go talk to Superman on the roof. And she she puts it just in case something happened. Um, and I, I like Yeah, I, I guess what's stuck in the back of my head was like, okay, if you're, you're like Perry White and Lois just tells you that Superman's up on the roof or is about to be up on the roof, you'd be like, okay, let me get every other fucking reporter in the building to go and I'm like, and pictures of all the goddamn things. But like, eh, we're not going back. Well, clearly you can see them coming and he's like, he'd leave a note saying, I only wanted to talk with Lois. Y'all buzz off. But yeah. I guess yeah. That's true. So then uh, it, we get up there and then there's this, this line break that indica- indicates the context shift here again. The man of steel is waiting up there and, He's just hello, Lois, and uh, I don't know. I it's it's all fun. I, I yeah, it, and it does a good job again of like like every one of his responses sort of like like reflects his omnipotence. Like she's like, I've got some questions for you. He's like, I know, <laughs> um, and like and you know, all of them are supposed to be delivered with sort of an air of benevolence to them, but um, but Lois's reaction is kind of the same as as ours, which is kind of like dude, we're all here merely at your permission and that's creepy as fuck. <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, it is weird because like, and because like it comes across as like, since like his sort of benevolent intent feels sincere. It's like, there's not, there's not like a sinisterness of intent behind it, but it's just like, Jesus, you know, like none of us have any choice around, you know, being at the mercy of Superman's intent. Yeah. Um, there was a, a line in this that is ominous when when viewed through that lens. Like it's a little further down, but uh, you know he talks about how uh, the the coordinated attempts to kill him, and then like, oh yeah, you know the criminals they still sometimes act surprised when they shoot me. You know another guy he was stabbing at my eyes, and I just let him till his arms got tired. I want them to see that it's pointless to stand against me, and it's like ah oh, against you, not against justice, not against you know the law. Uh-huh against you and he's um, like surprised by nothing right um but yeah yeah and like and it does add a, like a level of creepiness to it because it like his reaction to all of it is like wholesome and benevolent and you know merely wishing the best for even the criminals he deals with but it's but it, it like it even even that like that points back to the sort of arbitrate it's like are we lucky that he's a good guy because there's no particular reason he should have been yeah uh, and we'd all be fucked so yeah it sort of keeps like keeps going back to like, you know what, Luthor this entire time has had a valid, nothing so far has invalidated any point that Lex Luthor has made. Um, I think Luthor's totally on board with his point of view. Yeah. I I think he, I think his concern is very well uh, like vindicated. Uh, And what I like about this too, though, is that like Superman isn't like some straw man in these, in this discussion, you know, she asks him like, uh, you know, why, why do you get to be the one who decides what's good and bad? Like, and that we can't handle it. Cause he says that if I could find my ship, I wouldn't like you got, I, that'd be like a gun yeah. to a baby. And she's like, so you're the final arbiter of what's good for humanity. And he's like, I'm the arbiter of myself. I can only do what I think is the best. And, and I hope that humanity gives the same consideration to their own actions. And it's like, that's a, I mean, yeah. that's a solid know. answer too. And yeah, and yeah, like yeah. when I read that, I was thinking like, well, what the fuck else should I do lady? Like well, you got I mean, a better idea. <laughs> you know, I, I think she does. Is like you know, try and guide humanity forward in in a way that is you know goes beyond the scope of just stopping muggings. Like you know, if, yeah. If, I guess I mean because at least like 
my read of his reaction to that was like, and what does that look like? And where should I go when, you know, the next complicated situation comes up? Like, I guess like all of his responses to, to her kind of criticism of like, why aren't you doing more? I was also totally on board with like, like, yeah, like shit is complicated. And he seems to be aware of that. And it maybe not, doesn't seem like he's doing like the perfect solution to it, but the sort of, you know, naively self-righteous thing about like, okay, why aren't you all, you know, just feeding all the orphans also seems like, you know, that seems very simplistic. Um, like the kind of thing that sounds good in the thought experiment, but doesn't hold up to reality. And Superman's coming back with the, like, you know what? She gets fucked up when I try to like do stuff in the real world. Um, well, I mean, I, that's why I like, we talked about Bill Gates and moral laziness earlier. Like, I mean, I think that he could probably do a lot of good, you know, digging uh, irrigation ditches in, you know, droughted part of the world, you know, droughted poor parts of the world that need water. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't see him engaging in large scale, large scale construction. You know, he could be, uh, I mean, I, I could think of a lot of things right off that he he's could be trying to cure malaria. Like it's not like he's, you know, sticking his thumb up his ass. I'm not, I'm not saying Bill Gates. I'm saying Superman. Yeah. Bill, Bill Gates is yeah, moving. I was, Bill Gates. I got no complaints. About. He's fucking awesome. I don't want him. He doesn't have the brawn to go out there and be digging holes, but Superman does. But he does. Yeah. I guess, I mean, yeah. And it, and I like that it like I didn't come out of this and be like oh one of you is definitely right so I, I like the ambiguity around that exactly um, that's what I like about so she's like she said that and yeah she's got a point um, and I guess and I it, like I think it works narratively like her sort of a, you know a little bit self righteous criticism or like oh this you know I think she calls it morally lazy like uh, I get like oh, okay I don't entirely disagree with you but maybe also not entirely on board with the level that you're certain about that criticism like they they both seemed um they both seem to have a point and i guess i was kind of more fascinated with the idea like it seemed like superman knew more than he was letting on um and he's like yeah i know you would want me to do that but you are unaware of what would happen if i did and i am um, and not even as so much, like, I mean, and that all of that was left sort of vague and mysterious and yeah, maybe it's not true, but, um, I like it, it didn't seem like, uh, like he was like, he made those decisions consciously, um, and he didn't make them ignorantly, um, exactly. like everything that she brought up, he had considered and had decided differently. Yeah. Nobody's stupid in this conversation, which I really like. Yeah. And like, whether or not, you know, he, he's, whether or not he's right or she's right, they've both made good points. Yeah. And so like he, he gives the example, like she gives the example of like, look, there were slaves being sold here, uh, what a hundred years ago on these docks. If you'd shown up then, would you have done anything? And he's just like, you're losing your cool. And she's yeah, like, yeah. Cause he didn't, he didn't did not. Yeah. He didn't, we didn't get an answer on that one. Right. Um, yeah. And he responds with this, with, with the, you know, uh, the example of like during prohibition, people were poisoning alcohol so people wouldn't drink it. Mm-hmm. He's like that, that, and he doesn't come out and say, it, but basically saying like, "Look, I'm worried that if I were to try and impose my own stuff, I would be doing the same. I could be making the same sorts of mistakes." Like, yeah, I would well, yeah and then he, and then he points out the like, uh, and I think I'm pretty sure he uses the exact phrase "unintended consequences." Um, but that, like, one of the ones he he points out with that is he's like, you know what? Now that I've even given the conscious decision I've made around not around only trying to intervene when it's very morally unambiguous 
Um, even then I've got people like they're building us on fire and all they do is, you know, run up to the top of the building waiting for me to rescue them rather than trying to like fucking rescue themselves. Right. Uh, I like that. And that also felt very, uh, I like at least my read, like that's kind of the core message in, uh, Watchmen, uh, where Alan Moore sort of like, okay, oh, if we're in this world where there really are superheroes and that's fucking ridiculous, uh, which I like both of these stories have that in common, like, okay, how fucking weird would this be um, that like the whole world would become infantilized? Like if, you know, if, if there's always a superhero to rescue you, then you kind of stop taking responsibility for yourself um, stop trying to solve your own problems. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like it, I, he goes, the, uh, uh, man, that's what makes it's just a, a compelling story with the awesome nuance that totally like, just pushes all my buttons. But. It's cool that he's aware of it too. Like, so he's this thorough white bread, you know, ridiculously one-sided, you know, moral compass, blah, blah, blah. But he's also aware of that part. So I like, I'd like that. Yeah. And he even just straight up says, he's like, you know, these are the things that happen when I'm like interview in, intervening on a small scale. And, uh, you know, if I was there, you know, saving humanity from its mistakes and forging its destiny, like imagine how like, messed up that could get if 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 this was you know writ large across the planet and uh and lois thinks about how like the the budgets for the fire and police departments are up for review and they're going to be cut because men's are putting out fires and stopping crime Uh, there's something always convincing about the argument (laughs) when it looks like yeah but when we really did it shit got fucked up like that seemed like it's it's super hard to argue against that one (laughs) yes but we really did it and yeah it was not so good um, and that's kind of his, that, that seems like, that's sort of like the core of what he's, you know, what he argues against is, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm trying to do all the good I can, but there's a bunch of unintended consequences. Yeah. And I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that like, look, we tried that and things went terribly. And I'm also sympathetic to the rejoinder of like, sure, but that doesn't mean you give up. It means you think harder and try again. Um, yeah. When you're playing it safe, as Superman is trying to, he's just doing small scale, for the most part, unambiguous good. Like, I'm saving lives and, and stopping violent crime. Like, you know, what are you, you going to tell me I'm doing the wrong thing? And it's like, well, I can't say you're doing the wrong thing. You're just not doing the most you yeah. can do. So, yeah, because, yeah, and like the, the other flip side to that is like, you know, tell me, Clark, what are the unintended consequences about building an orphanage? <laughs> like, that seems like, you know, maybe some bad shit, but that seems like almost always going to be a net good. Right. You kind of can't go wrong with building orphanages. Exactly. You know, so go and make some fucking money. <laughs> so it, it's, it's tight. It's a, it's a tough spot. Cause like, you know, if, even if I think of my thing of like, all right, let's dig some trenches for uh, water irrigation in dry parts of the world. Then it's like, okay, sure. But then I, I can imagine I've only thought that one or two steps ahead. Like, what does it look like 40 years from now? Right. Um, I have well, no idea that causes a war because you now you, you've created a resource that people feel like killing each other over and yeah, or oh, something. Oh, something. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah, exactly. It's people always complicated. Or, or people will you know settle in hard, harsh environments, assuming that Superman will eventually show up and dig them a trench too, like just other stuff, right? Um, so there was a there was a thing in here. This is where I thought it was in the last uh, two chapters, but it wasn't. Lois asks him how long were you on the planet before you began intervening, and he says two weeks. I, I know that one stuck out to me. Is it- uh, I don't know if you'd look at it. Is that canon? Uh, that seems off to me. It, it. I don't know canon stuff. I'm assuming that either it's it's a version of. Um, I mean, 
Like, because like I'm pretty sure I'm like ninety percent sure I'm remembering correctly from like nineteen eighties Christopher Reeve Superman that like he crashes into Earth in his little potty thing and he's a baby and that like his uh, adopted parents you know find that like he lands on some farm in the Midwest and his adopted parents pull out and he's a baby wrapped in what will eventually become his Superman cape and costume. Um, but the, and then I think like I vaguely remember like oh he grows faster like he ages faster than most kids but that but that he definitely doesn't show up on Earth as you know some kind of fully conscious aware you know kid that speaks English and has you know complex theories about you know <laughs> about politics right um, yeah so, but that may have been like that may have been a depart like the Christopher Reeves Superman's may have been a departure from yeah so, so either this is an alternate from the usual take or he's just lying to her face. And oh, yeah, me too. My, my evidence for lying to her face, and I'm just, just speculating on this, but it's like, I learned English on the way over from your radio signals. And it's like, okay, so you learned English from the radio signals, and yet you've been here for months and you haven't picked up Spanish yet? Like, I know, right? So you picked up you picked up English with he, having- He figured out the right, the, the, you know, he figured out the, you know, the language that the good people speak. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, learn, learning a language from sounds alone- is like what on earth are you comparing? <laughs> and, and and you know he built an AM radio while he was you know sitting in his little spaceship. That too, right? His little like baby Superman. But I'm just thinking like it's hard enough to learn learn a language with no trans. You know if, if if someone there in Spanish is saying you know I don't know what Spanish is for apple, but they if they say the word for apple and they pick up an apple, Donde I will learn the word. Biblioteca. Right. I'll learn where I'll learn where the library is if they keep saying that and pointing to the library. But a mí no me gusta el taco grande. But. What I'm saying is that doing that with just hearing the radio, like I could listen to all the Spanish radio I want if I'm not hearing anything I know. I guess I'm not, so like, is that what you're sort of like scurrying back in your head is, is the possibility that this is complete bullshit and that he's lying to her? I hadn't like, I'm like, I hadn't thought that at first, but that now seems. I, 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 I'm suspicious is all I'm saying. I, I, I call bullshit. I, I, hear, I, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got this like very long list of shit that's just like, especially like the whole lead thing, like you can't see through lead. Thing. Like, there's this long list of like, okay, that's clearly bullshit. So we need a better explanation. Um, which again, because we point this stuff out so explicitly, I got to think like, oh, we're not going to just let that slide. Like, oh, Clark looks just like Superman. Oh, he can't see through lead. Oh, where the fuck is like, oh, you you have faster than light travel. Fucking apparently, um, like. Which I like that. I think that was something I said last week. Like, okay, maybe because what I thought was like, okay, if he came here, you know, from another star, he's you know, minimum, you know, let's let's say he came from Proxima Centauri, which is what two light years away. That's a long fucking way. Um, so like, either they've got fat, you know, faster than light travel or near light speed travel, or like the other idea that I thought was kind of cool was like, oh, maybe Krypton blew up a million years ago and he was just on the slow boat. Um, and it took that long to get here. That like wouldn't sort of like violate any like you know narrative or around what's happened. But now we're saying that like oh he just showed up and was like you know he took those last few years you know coming in to learn English. That kind of like I guess it doesn't entirely shoot it shoot it out of the water, but it makes that that idea like okay so apparently he did show up here on some kind of like FTL ship. Um, show yeah, yeah, yeah. but so yeah so, so krypton had you know ftl travel but hadn't bothered to go visit anybody until they decided to you know stick him in an escape pod <laughs> right all right so then then he mentions like uh I, I like this line too she says 
did you anticipate what followed? And he says, for the most part, celebrity, shock, awe, analysis, that was predictable. So like, this is the part where I, I, I get the impression that like, you know, Wonderbred Clark Kent wouldn't think of like all of those things. Like, like yeah. Clark is a persona. And so yeah. that, that's my reason. But also like stuck out to me was like, like, so like I both believed it, but it also sort of stuck out as a, like to what levels, what levels of like intuitive understanding about human nature works and human psychology did this dude who's apparently an alien from another planet just completely like pick up on, uh, apparently just by listening to Rush Limbaugh. Right. Um, <laughs> that was sort of like, yeah, like, okay. Yeah. You see like, okay. Because like the things that he found, you know, predictable and like not surprising are the, the same things that we would have, would have thought. But, um, you know, to get that just sort of by deducing the behavior of society was like, Oh, and again, it just sort of added onto the pile of like, Oh, there's once again, there's something extra going on to the story here. Did you get the impression that like, he was, I mean, in my mind, running with his story. Like, do you think he was freaked out listening to War of the Worlds on the radio on his way in? Oh, yeah. See? Yeah, well, yeah, because like, and like how, <laughs> like, it, like what year did like Krypton blow up? Was it like, did Krypton blow up in like, you know, 1929 and he just, you know, quick zapped over here to, you know, did it take him 50 years to get here? Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? And was he like aging while he's on the, I have questions. Unclear. Yeah. All right. I know. It's yeah. Think about that. Like, so, so yeah, that's been left like super vague. Like how old was he when he landed? Was he aging in like regular time on the way here? How old was he when Krypton blew up? Inquiring minds want to know. That's right. We're tell us your secrets, Superman. So he's here to talk about the clockwork bomber. And he says, all the bombs are meant for me. They were encased in lead and had mechanisms inside to prevent, prevent me from doing anything with them. I think someone was making an effort to kill me. And, and he must, so he knows what's the deal with lead. Like Lex is trying to figure out like, why can't he see through lead? Superman must know why he can't see through lead, but can see through, you know, 20 feet of concrete. Is it necessary that he understands that? I guess, uh, but he must at least, he's got more information about what does and does not work. And he knows, so he does know that he can't see through lead does. And he probably knows what he can and cannot see through. He, he must know that he can see through, you know, 12 inches of steel. Yeah. Like, but I mean, those things he I, knows, but I, and he does seem to know that like, it does sound like he specifically knows that it's about lead. Like he's like, Oh, it's encased in lead. And that must be because they know I can't see through it. So right, he must like, maybe he doesn't know the why, but he must know the what. And I would imagine probably in a fair amount of detail, he knows the what. He might, he might know the why, but that's not, that's not, that's not yeah, obvious. We don't know. Like, yeah, my guess would be like, he totally does know the why, but we just don't, we don't get to know. Yeah, it could be. I'm just thinking like, you know, if, if we run the idea that like he was, you know, raised in isolation, doesn't know about how Kryptonians work. I know, because fucking raised nowhere. He's raised on like a f- empty, tiny little space pod. Right. So, so whatever his backstory. Did he, did he poop? How did that work? <laughs> I'm just thinking like, if this was a thousand years ago and I'm looking at my hand, opening and closing my hand, I know that I can do it. I know how to do it with enough dexterity to, you know, tie a knot, but I have no idea why mm. I hate my brain to move my hand. It does it right. Yeah. Like, so, right but he would know the, he would know the what. Yeah. So he might not know the why, but he would know the what he would know, like, you know, how much can he see through? Does is oh, it, yeah. it, cause it sounds like he knows that, that there's something specific about lead, uh, which again points back to like, you know, Lex correctly identifying like how bullshit that is. <laughs> what the fuck? Like what the hell is it about lead is, you know, 
expecto plumbum. Like there's no <laughs> just the arbitrary rule about lead. Yeah. So I just, I wanted to, to, I, I just think it's interesting to think about that. He might not know what is like how his powers work, yeah. and, but he might, and he's just not letting on. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, and I'm, I'm liking the vibe that it seems like he knows a lot more than he's letting on. I like, I like the vibe that we're getting, like it makes him kind of more of a mystery. Me too. But he, he points out that he says, I think the bombs were an attempt to kill me. Like the last, the last one was an attempt to blind me, I think. And they're probing for weaknesses. Um, and so, yeah. And he's not like concerned about it, like in terms of his safety, but he's, he's just thinking about it in, what, in terms of what that means about the people that are doing it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, there's people that are like probing for weaknesses. And so I think that's, like, that's oh, the opposition has advanced. That's what he's concerned about here. And then we get enough description on bomb making that I wonder if Alexander knows how to make bombs. I know I had the same, I had the same impression, but a few things I'm like, God, this feels There's like a level of, of authenticity. <laughs> this makes me feel like, Oh, there was some research involved. Well, and he talked about being a reporter. Like, that and like, yeah, that, like what you said, like about being a reporter. I'm like, oh, this does. This feels like there's some real experience behind this, and not just random googling. Either he's lived a long and interesting life, or he's just a really good writer, or both. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you said that. Like those, those are the two specific things. Like the stuff they just said about bombs, but like, yeah, the stuff about like about how does it work to be a reporter as a level of. D, I don't know if detail is the right word to it, but like, like casual yeah. understanding, yeah, a level, yeah, a level of like understanding of the intricacies that that seems like more than just you know shit I googled, right? But yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, Terry is sitting there uh, enjoying it with himself about how awesome his bombs are and about mm-hmm. the concept of of fail safety, and then he's like, no, these were fail dangerous. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you, you fuck with this and it blows up like what you know what makes these bombs really cool isn't that they're that they're about to blow up it's that they're trying to blow up it's no, exactly. the timer is the thing keeping it from blowing up exactly <laughs> weirdly that reminded me of like there's this thing i think it was invented like israel there's a lot of like odd rules in orthodox judaism around what like you can and cannot do on the sabbath and dialing a phone number is among the things you cannot do uh because it's considered work um, and so there's a, a phone designed um, where the act of dialing was not to – it did not technically count as doing work. It, it counted as the interruption of work being done. <laughs> and so therefore it was true. It was like you stuck a pencil into the hole and the hole like broke a, a, a light beam that blah, blah, blah. And I don't, it, it reminded me of that like sort of the – I like it. Your, your, your fail condition is, is doing the thing you wanted. Right. I also like how Harry's uh, like fantasizing over like, you know, you, for, for us working with bombs, we'd be nervous that they blow up and kill us. But Harry's just ecstatic at the, at the idea. Yeah. He's like, oh, there's this heightened sense of reality that comes to being one mystical utter destruction. Um, I know that that worked like sticky on again. Like, okay, this dude is wired wrong. Like, yeah, he's great. <laughs> this fucker's crazy. <laughs> like his bombs, he's wired wrong. Uh, and so then he's got like this, this inside joke with himself to the workman. Be careful with that as they carry the bomb out of the workshop. <laughs> Fragile, and they didn't. They, they didn't laugh because they didn't know what was in the box, and so he's just like, like it's got like it's got a mercury trigger against being tilted, but that's on a time delay, so they've got some unspecified amount of time to shake it around before that would blow it up. Oh, it's awesome! So yeah, you put in the notes that Lex tried set up setting up TEDx for Superman, but Superman snubbed them. I know, right? Yeah, because because Lex has sort of been publicly trying to position himself as like the greatest, you know, cheerleader for Superman. Um, you know, he's behind the scenes doing shit to try to find his weaknesses, but he wants to 
appear publicly as being rah rah Superman. Um, but yeah, so he tries to set up this like scientific conference um, and like, oh, please, Superman, come and tell us all the things that you know from, uh, you know, your origin from Krypton. And Superman doesn't even he doesn't even uh, decline the invitation. He just ghosts Lex. Um, that's just rude. Which, yeah, 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 it does totally come. It's like, you know, especially it's sort of like out of character for Superman. He could have just been like, uh, thank you, but no. I think it's in character so, that he ignores every attempt to get his attention, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I, yeah, I guess that's true. I wonder. I mean, at this point, no doubt. And, and he only sort of responds to like legal like, you know, if he's summoned to court because he's being sued, he'll show up for that. But otherwise he is well, no in, in movie, yeah, okay. Excellent. In Dawn of Justice, he shows up to court because he was being because there was a lawsuit involved. We haven't shown that he does that in this yet, I don't think. I um, guess well, I guess I was assuming that because it described like a whole bunch of being sued. And if he was just ditching that, that would be problematic. I mean, for who though? Like, it's not like they can go after his assets because they don't know who he is. I guess, so it's yeah, like, I guess, I, mean, I guess like that would get described though. It's like, Oh, okay. And now there's like eight warrants out for Superman's arrest. Cause he, you know, ditched his court showing. Sure. Yeah. But, like that would be mentioned. Like, I guess I got the impression like, okay, he's been sued and he has reluctantly, you know, cooperated with going up to like testify for blah, blah, blah. I guess that makes yeah, sense. I guess it's like, okay, you, you have successfully sued Superman and Superman now owes you a million dollars. Good luck with collecting on that. Yeah. I think Superman, that- it was your social security number. Yeah. Not so much. If he's if he's going to cooperate with like being part of the law, it seems like that he couldn't just. I mean, so if he ignores enough lawsuits, like eventually the cops are going to be like, "Sorry, man, we're supposed to arrest you." Like I know, and like it, it it's like in character for Superman. He he can't just sort of like deny the validity of that. It's like Superman is not above the law. Superman himself would not believe he is above the law. Yeah, but is Clark Kent on his newspaper guy salary going to be able to pay the guy who? I know, right? you know, who's all that steals Superman ruined. Like that's why he needs to, you know, like Lois said, he needs to go out and like start, you know, yeah. Capitalizing on his branding, fueling power generators and shit. Give, give him a nickel for every man lunchbox sold, you know, monetize this shit, man. <laughs> so, um, we get in Lex's head. It says the soup, the bombing campaign had served multiple purposes as any good plan did. Superman was an extinction level event waiting to happen. And where those were concerned, there were no second chances. Um, I, this whole thing is just like, I love Lex's concern so well articulated. Um, he, he talks about, you know, if he decided to kill everyone, there'd be no one able to stop him. Just like that pitch meeting I put in the preamble episode. <laughs> um, and he's like, uh, you know, of course, we should, so humanity should take every possible path to, you know, preventing that from happening. And the most obvious path is killing Superman. Um, so like, but then, it, like you said, in public, he's Superman's cheerleader. Um and then this is where he's uh, doing some, you know, ass numbers, Bayesian reasoning. I know this is where it's stuck. Like, I like this stuff is interesting to me because that's where I'm like legitimately not sure. Like, am I disagreeing with the author or is the author like leading me along in a story? Um, but let me see if I did I pull a quote. Uh, yeah, I guess all that he's like, okay, Lois, whatever Lois said, you know, couldn't tell me enough. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, numbers could be pulled from thin air in order to get a sense of things. Uh, and this reminder, I think Harry and HPMOR said something almost, you know, nearly identical, uh, which is like, oh, if you're in just some kind of, you know, state of uncertainty about an important situation. Uh, so, so this is going to be me stating it poorly because I don't agree with it, but it was just like, oh, just fucking make numbers up and come up with, you know, some kind of, you know, understanding of your probabilities and you can at least 
you know, make a decision based on that, which I guess part of that idea is that, okay, yeah, you come up with some probability of something and then you throw away the actual consideration of the probability, but at least it helped you understand what were all the, you know, factors involved. Um, and I, and like stated, although Lex didn't really put it that way, like Harry put it that way, or rather, you, you know, Yudkowsky slash Harry put it that way, um, which like I can get on board with that. Uh, Lex didn't seem to even acknowledge that part of it, but um, the, the part I have a problem with, which I actually find equally true in both of those is um, you start tossing numbers at the stuff uh, and it gives you this like false sense of certainty around your understanding of the situation that, you know, so Lex has decided, and I think he let like literally, like it's an actual number. He says 10%. Am I remembering that right? He literally says 10%, right? Yeah. He, he and I'll, I'll respond to your, your thoughts on Yeah. So he problem. says, yeah, there's a 10% chance that Superman is going to, you know, cause the end of all humanity. Um, and my reaction to that was like, what the fuck do you, 10%? Like, shut the fuck up. You have no fucking idea. Like, and I, what was the snarky thing I said? There's like somewhere between a zero and maybe chance that Superman is going to end humanity. Uh, and that like the, the idea I've had is like, uh, like you have an adjective level of understanding of the probabilities of things. Um, and that, and like that adjective level of like, so yeah, it's a maybe, um, and like we have lots of great adjectives to describe, you know, varying levels of those. There's like the maybe or the like, hmm, we should worry or the probably or the probably not. Like we have a bunch of like super sloppy emotional levels of descriptions of our levels of certainty of things. And which I think is important uh, when you don't know, because like to come up like to like, especially because he describes that, like pulling numbers out of the air. Um, like you pull those numbers out of the air and you, you, you know, you end up with a number and you, you tell yourself like, okay, this is a gross estimate, blah, blah, blah. And then you start doing math with this number that you pull out of your ass. Uh, and you land. So, you know, Lex landed at this number of 10% and you hit 10%. And that makes you think that there's some, you know, like, like, the, the number is not 10%. The number is fuck. I don't know. The number is, Oh, we should be worried. Um, and then when you hit 10% that you start making decisions based on that. And it gives you, because there's a difference between, uh, you know, I'm going to roll this one D 10 and there is a 10% chance I'm going to hit 10 versus fucking, I don't know, maybe 10, like, and the decisions you would make based on that are like very different. Totally. Um, and I think like, like when you slap a number at that, like, and I don't even so much even see the value of throwing a number at it because it gives you a false sense of, of certainty about things like a certain, as Donald Rumsfeld would say, um, you know, you're no, you, you think it's a known unknown, like, uh, like 10% is a, like a bullshit number. You just like made that up and it doesn't, then you start treating it as a thing that'll have a one in 10 chance. Like you have no idea um, and we have these much older, sloppier, messier um, ways of making decisions that are based on gut instinct when you are dealing with, you know, huge levels of uncertainty. Um, and yeah, they're messy and they have definite faults that like, in sometimes you need to like look at uh, and make sure you like question, but they do have the authority of having survived a million years of actual results 
Um, well, and that they're messed up in, messed up in some situations, but like substituting, oh, I come up with this 10% thing and then making decisions based on that with a false sense of, of certainty is worse than falling back to this like messy gut driven thing, which is at least an accurate representation of the level of uncertainty. Like you fall back to like, well, shit, fucking, I, like, I don't know. I guess I, sh-. you then fall back to very instinctive, like lame things about, okay, you know, I don't know what's going on. Let me make sure I ally myself with the people I know that I know I can trust. Like those are all like very adaptive, useful instincts to go to. Sure. Um, that you then might start abandoning if you start thinking like, oh, this is a thing with a one in 10 chance. All right. I, I, I can't spend uh, as much go. time as you spent ripping into it to, to, respond, <laughs> but, um, like I, at the very least, I've got a couple things. One, I don't think falling back on our gut instincts is necessarily better than trying to reason about it in any way. Like our gut instincts came from our stupid fuzzy ancestors who had no idea what the hell they were yeah, doing. I, yeah, I, agree with that. I agree with that. And so like, you know, all the last 70 years of, of cognitive science can demonstrate you know, predictable ways where we can fail at our gut instinct reasoning, but also like our gut instincts suck. You know, we have all these, these impulses to be, you know, to hate out groups and to, to do bad things and all that. So fuck all that stuff. But um, as far as making up numbers, I totally get where you're coming from. Like if, if he's sitting there, um, like, so I think, I think that I be like, if he walks away thinking there's a 10% chance of Superman in humanity, that's, that is a fucked up way to walk away from that. Right. So I, I think what I think the the purpose of it is is so there's a couple of ways to think about it. Like on the one hand, what do you do if you don't have numbers to work with? Like the best, like like you said, the best you can do is between zero and maybe. But like, how do you work with that? Like if if it's a real life decision, um, you know, what do I do if I if I think that I don't know whatever I might have if I'm you know what do I do if I think I might have COVID right? I sneezed a couple more times than I, than I usually do. My throat's a little sore. So I think like, okay, well, that's not really that common of a symptom of it and this and that. And so what I end up doing is saying, well, if there's a 5% chance and that's a completely rough guess that I have COVID, well, I should act like I have it in quarantine for 10 days, right? Um, so like part of it is to is to inform like in in the absence of better data, like what else can you do but try and reason with numbers that don't sound insane. And so like the numbers that he pulls out are numbers from real people. And like, we don't see it, all of his numbers, yeah. but, but what we get. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think it's, it's like walking from that, like, and you make that decision. It's not even so much like, oh, okay, I'm going to make this decision based on thinking that it's a 10% or whatever. It's when you make that decision from the sloppy gut level, you are fully aware that you are making it from the sloppy gut level and you have like zero confidence in the validity of your decision. And so you remain like eyes wide open. Um, and I think, I think, I think and that's so that's theoretically still true. Like, okay, if you go with the like, oh, 10% chance he's going to end humanity, but at least like, so, and I guess if it felt like, oh, I'm going with, with 10% as the thing I'm, I'm working with and I am very, very unconfident in the value of 10%, then that would like, that totally addresses my concern about it. It just feels like, uh, like going through all the math, like, like there's something about just like throwing numbers at it because numbers feel so concrete and certain. <laughs> Um, yeah. that like when you throw a number at it, you walk out of that, like not, not only are you saying 10%, but you're like, you have a false sense of the accuracy of that 10%. Um, and right. so, and so that's the thing, like if, if you could really divorce yourself from the level, uh, like, 
because it feels like, okay, yes, I'm telling myself that there's, you know, a 90% chance it goes some other way, but it feels like you've accepted an assumption that you've understood all of the factors involved and you've started to, like, you've walked away from uh, your uncertainty about like, you know what, there's so much here. I don't understand. Like I, not only are there things I don't know, but I'm like fundamentally don't even understand what the problem is. Um, like when you're in sloppy adjective land, you still know that when you start throwing numbers at it, you start to fool yourself into thinking that you understand the problem when you don't understand the problem at all. Um, so if you can still do that, so if you can still like do all that math, but like still like maintain that gut level of fuck, I have no idea what's going on here. And so this 10% is a complete bullshit number. Um, and then you base, base your decisions on that with like the level of like, I need to maintain my contingency plans, um, which I guess I fall back. And then that, that's where I'll like those gut level instinct things, which definitely have huge numbers of problems. With. And then it's like super useful. Like let's question all the assumptions around our dumb gut level instinct ways to go with things. Um, and like, you know, lately that problem is like, oh, I'll go with like, you know, tribal loyalty, um, and make, and do stupid shit just because all my friends decided to jump off the bridge. Like that's like, you should still totally like question those things. But, but there's, there are like kind of these instinct things that you do, not because you analyzed it correctly, but because in the absence of analyzing it correctly, you made this decision that has worked out really good in the past for a really long time. Uh, around just sort of like, you know, can, you know, making sure that if shit goes wrong, things will still be okay. Um, and I guess like, there's nothing about this, but like the thing that keeps coming back to me is like, um, stay loyal to the people that you know are loyal to you, um, is something that doesn't necessarily stand up to like some sort of probability, you know, analysis. But if, she, if you were completely fucked up and wrong about like what you were thinking how things would work out if you made sure not to burn any bridges and that your friends would still be around to like you know bail you out of having fucked it all up like that's a solid theory to work with um well and, and ultimately you know you grow up with the wrong gang and you end up part of you know a neo-nazi subculture right like yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. i mean so yeah that's the other part. but yeah it would but like i guess like the the situation i'm worried about is like oh you've decided that like all your friends are idiots and they don't know any better. And so fuck them. I'm, you know, Mr. Donner. And I know that this path through the, <laughs> through the mountains is a better way to go and, and fuck you guys. And then, Oh shit, you know, I'm hungry and cold and I wish my friends were still here. Um, like, and, and entertaining the possibility that you are completely full of shit and don't know what you're doing. Um, it's, it's better to have your friends around. Um, yeah, sure. But, but yeah, like the other thing is like, oh, by the way, my friends all think we should, you know, beat this guy up. Also true. Like maybe not the right. best. All right. So but I, yeah, I guess it's just sort of like an acknowledgement of like, I guess like when, when you start throwing math at it, it gives you a false sense of that, that I understand all of the parameters involved in this problem. Um, and you, uh, again, like on an emotional level, you emotionally disconnect from the idea that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Uh, and you need to like hang on to that level of uncertainty. I, I, believe, I, I believe I understand where you're coming from. Um, I think that the like, and then I kind of want to just move on to the rest of the chapter. <laughs> um, like the understanding the rest of your uncertainty, you know, if, if you come to a rough guess and you're doing it right, I think when you said, you know, if you go into it with your gut decision, you do so with your eyes open, knowing that's what you did. I do not think that's how people 
on average operate. I think if they go with something with a gut decision, that just feels like they're doing what makes sense. And they, and they, yeah. they never think yeah. about why they did what they did. They never think about like, Oh yeah, that's just that was my my gut impulse. They just they're just acting on instincts like animals, and like and, and we're all animals. We all do that all the yeah. time. The no, goal is right. when there's stakes on the table, you don't do that. And so the last thing on this, and then we can we can move past it, is that Lex came out. It says when these probabilities multiplied together, the very final or the final very rough estimate was that Superman had a one in ten chance of bringing about a global scale human catastrophe of some kind in the next thirty years. He didn't say that by December first. You know, 1941, there is a 15.678% chance that, you know, Superman will have killed the president, right? Like, it's it's a vague guess based on the best information that he can pull up, right? And so, like, we get the example of, um, you know, uh, like Huntington's disease. And so he gives us real numbers from Huntington's, Huntington's disease. And he's like, that's just one thing in humans that causes neurosis or psychosis, Um you know, so if, if unless Kryptons have no genetic psychosis or something, then like we need to take that as a real guess. And so like what I would do if I was reasoning about Superman is and I had the access to, you know, the the base rate of human population who, you know, got every form of uh, degenerative uh, like Huntington's, et cetera. Uh, I would say, OK, cool. It looks like one in 10,000 people get that just on a generous underestimate. Let's say it's one in a million. Uh, you know, let's say it's one in 1000 less. Kryptonians because they're just that much better, right? Well, that still gives us an X amount of chance that this could happen. And so, like, what, like, the, the goal isn't to walk away from this saying, "Aha, I am ten percent sure that this will happen." It, you, you walk away from it saying, "Okay, I've thought about it, and now I feel like it is reasonable to be worried." And so, like, the ten percent number, yes, that that is that is a magic number that means nothing. But the 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 purpose of it is to just think about everything that you can along the way, and then at the end you do some math if you want, if you feel like it to get to see where that see where that ends up. And then when you look at that and you're like, oh shit, I would not have thought seventy five percent, and I was just pulling these numbers out of my ass. Like it is time to be like way more serious about this. If at the end of your if your little made up math game you come to a one in a thousand percent, you're like, oh okay, I don't have to worry about that. Like from where I was before, I'm no more worried about it than I am now, or I'm no more interested in it. Like. Um, like if if you and I were around for the conversation, if someone pitched Bitcoin to us in what two thousand six, um, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Look, for ten bucks, I think that this you know this this cryptocurrency thing could take off in twenty years, and for ten bucks, you will have forty million dollars by the year twenty twenty one." Like if if someone pitched that to us, and we're like, "Okay, well, let me think about this. How much do I need ten dollars? How much do I think this guy is full of shit?" We would make up numbers, right? And at the end of it, we would say, "Okay, you know what?" It's buying a lottery ticket, but it's ten bucks, and I feel like it's a it's a one in it's a one in fifty thousand lottery ticket, not a one in a uh, sixty million lottery ticket, um, something like that, right? But the like I think at the end of it, so so Bayesian analysis can be done with real data and real numbers to get you actual information, and it can be done with like by by you talk about your gut instinct a lot, you 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 pick a, an estimate on that and say, okay, yep, now I feel like that's close enough. You know, I, I was talking about this with somebody once. And it's like, you know, if I, uh, I, I had two examples, then I want to move past this because this is not, su- you know, Metropolitan Man related that much. But um, like, I was thinking, okay, like, personally, I have like this weird thing when cooking that I'm undercooking my food. And I, I'm always like, and I've never been food poisoned, but I imagine it sucks. And I'm just, for some reason, it's some stupid phobia I have. So when I'm cooking, especially like things that can be food poisoned, I'm like always nervous I'm not cooking it enough. And yet at some point I have to flip switch my head saying, okay, yep, that's probably cooked enough. And so like, 
I, I, I pulled that number out of my ass, but it's not like, it's not made up from nowhere. And it's not like, you know, so if, if the recipe says, yes, if it's this uh, weight of chicken, put it in for at whatever, 325 or 25 minutes, I'll put it in there for 28 or 20, you know, like, or I'll, I'll crank the heat a little more or something. Cause I want to be damn sure that, that, that it's not going to poison me. Um, so like, it's, it's things like that where like, have I assigned a number? Not really, but I could, and I've done it in a gut level. So I think that's kind of meeting in the middle of, of these two yeah. kinds of lines. Of yeah. And, it's, and it, it is like totally super value to look at, like, like look at what are the factors informing my gut level instinct and which of those things might be bullshit. And then, and then compare them against the, you know, oh, I just, you know, threw a bunch of math at this. And the more like, real, the yeah, into it, the better, right? Yeah. Like, like when you, when you probably definitely had COVID seven or a few months ago, like you got a negative test. And so what do you do with that negative test? You look up and you say, oh, look, there's a one in five chance this test is, is a false negative. And so what do I do with that combined with my like, per, like textbook symptoms that I have here? I should, I shouldn't go with the test. I should assume, oh, you know, one in five. So like you can make you can make a mathematically informed decision there that actually lets you. Uh, that would be totally helpful. I should totally go out and get the antibodies test to see if I really did have it. You get it for free. It'd be you helpful to know. I know, right? Yeah, you told me that. You, you, blood, you can help somebody who needs blood. Anyway, everybody I mean, wins. I may I may actually do that. Do it. We'll see. Uh, so I'll take you the, the website for that. There's a place. Well, I guess it's thirty. It's 40, 40 minutes from you, but there's a place ten minutes from me that takes blood. So probably somewhere closer to. There's probably vampires closer to you. Yeah. <laughs> all right so moving back to the rest After of the chat all that we, we are near the end so we were no that, that was fun i just uh it the uh, the meta level of this yeah, like, like that was like the meatiest like, so it's like five, 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 breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so um we will uh i didn't mean to cut you i did i talked over you a bit there sorry what were you saying no i was saying that was the the meatiest rationaliest thing that has come up so far so there yeah, you know. no, and I really enjoyed it. And if there's any impatience on my part, the the meta level part of that was that it's 5:45 p.m. and I haven't eaten since breakfast. So, uh, and I have I'm, to pee. I'm Good eager to eat. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're, not right, gonna, we're, we're like two hours in. Yep, we're not going to rush the end too bad though. So, right. there are plenty good. of plans here. The first, the first thing is like, all right, well, let's see if you know, can the bombs kill Superman? That that'd be tight. That'd be great. Um, the other thing is, let's probe. Um, he had on good authority that you know Superman had taken the uh, the equivalent of a direct hit from naval artillery to his chest and simply looked surprised that he set the bomb off. So he's like, "Okay, I learned that I can't shoot Superman with a big bullet and kill him." Like, so he, he's he's gathering data and he's doing it and justifying it in this way. Uh, there's actually a, a wonderful. Uh, I sent you one Saturday morning breakfast serial comic, and I posted it to the Bayesian Conspiracy, and they sent back three more, and they're all amazing. Um, are you familiar? Do you go to SNBC a lot? See a lot of I've seen it. Some, I don't, I haven't seen all of them. No, I've seen it. I've seen a bunch of them. So yeah. I don't think I've seen all of them. Cause that's, it's cool. very, it's very XKCD. It's like of the same. It, 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 XKCD and that they all have like, they, 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 they feel like they're for the same person, but they're different veins. I think for sure. But anyway, there's, there's three more good Superman ones. And one of them is, okay, well, great Superman. But why do you, why do you put on the costume when you, before you go out and fight crime? And he's like, Oh, it's branding. And it's like, well, what, what a poor job paraphrasing it. You should just, I'll send you the whole thing. But um, he's like, no, no, I've done the, you know, I've, de- I've determined that some deaths on the margins are actually worth people uh, knowing and recognizing that 
this uh, red, blue, and gold symbol will show up to stop crime. And so it's, it's uh, oh, playing dress up during life and death situations is tight. Why did I think of that? I can't remember, but it was just another funny Saturday morning breakfast cereal comic. Uh, There's been like several points now where we keep pointing out like, okay, yeah, Superman is invincible, but not so much the costume, except it sort of heals itself. And that's been like left pretty vague, but they did, I think we described it when it's like, oh, he got the equivalent of like a, you know, a mortar shell to the chest or something that like it blew a hole in the, in the costume. But then later it's like, without being stated, it's sort of implied that like, and then it all went back to normal. So. I think he's got the Spider-Man cause he's got the uh the Venom Spider-Man costume. I vaguely remember that being a thing in some of my vague Superman knowledge that like the costume can take damage and heal itself because otherwise the costume anyone can put the costume on and be as in you know terrible as Superman, right? I think that might be yeah, the I thing. think I like it. yeah, I think my understanding is like the because and I think that again like the Christopher Reeves universe it's uh like half of my understanding of Superman but that it was like because like and they like made a point of showing that like that costume was made from what came inside the magic space pod, like that's what like that was, it was basically like his blankie when he showed up as a, like a space infant. Um, that it that it sort of had non-specific plot-driven powers of you know not burning when he walks you know walks through fire. I think it did make like when we were talking about the, all this though it, it did make me think like sort of the, like the plot rules around Superman is there's no way to brute force you know killing Superman like it requires kryptonite you have to like you know work within the rules of you need one of the special tricks in order to kill Superman like you could drop Superman to the center of the sun and he's still going to be cool there's no amount of nuclear warfare that will kill him there's nothing that he's not strong enough to lift like he's the he's the superlative of all situations he might get stuck into. And then you have to like work within the rules of Superman in order to come up with a problem he would give a shit about. I just thought of something. Speaking of breaking the rules of Superman, does he get haircuts? Does, <laughs> like, does he have like super hair? Like, oh, perfectly know, right? Wasn't that, there was like a whole thing about a, a like super girl and it would be like some level of incest. I'm not sure of that. It's like the only like, other being on the planet that would be capable of having a super child because like, because a super orgasm would just, you know, would impale any woman in which it happened because it would, you know, because super jizz, super jizz travels at the speed of sound. It would just, you know, rip out the guts of any woman that he. Right. I definitely remember hearing this book at some point. Um, I, I wonder like, but the thing about the haircut, I'm thinking like, okay, either the bl- the bomb is singeing his hair or it's not. And presumably it's not. So like, how does he trim his hair? He's got Maybe. super hair. Yeah, super hair. Magic. Anyway, so. It must be super hair because he can do the whole like, oh, I took off my glasses and then the little dangle of, of a thing off the top, you know, went into yeah, my eyes. Yeah, his hair. That's right. All right. It's one of his superpowers. It's, it's along with the power that makes him able to make Lotus, Lois not notice that he looks exactly like Clark Kent. Exactly. All right. Fourth objective, identify where Superman retired when he wasn't flying around the city since he demonstrably didn't spend all of his time on heroics. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was interesting. Yeah. So he like really wants to know, and I guess, does this mean he did hear about, is it public knowledge that he arrived on some little space pod? Yeah. I think uh, Lois must have published that second interview. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, he's thinking like, oh, maybe like we need to find that thing. And uh, I think it's not public knowledge that like, cause he said like, oh, it was destroyed on. Um, on entry into the atmosphere or whatever. But um, what stuck out to me though, in reading that, because he sort of, you know, 
actively describes um, the phenomenon around this is a dude with a day job, so he's not fighting crime between eight and five. Um, and that like, so like, yeah, like Lex identifies those things, but like he doesn't jump to that, that conclusion about like, Oh, Superman doesn't work during business hours. Um, and so he doesn't like, you know, latch onto the idea that Superman has some alter ego. Um, but that, but then the part that did occur to me is like, because the idea of a, you know, secret identity is almost core to the idea of a superhero, you know, like Batman is Bruce Wayne. Um, and like later that became less of a thing, but that like, especially early on, like that was a thing like, Oh, the, here's a superhero, but he's a real person in the real world. And we don't know who that is. Um, but you know, if you're in, you know, if it's 1930 something and there has never been a superhero in the world, then it's maybe not even on your radar that like, okay, Superman, um, you know, has a day job and pretends to be a person uh, during the rest of the time. That's like, not, not that that's like not a possibility, but it doesn't, it's not like one of the default positions you would drop to. So if anything, it seems like it'd be a weird thing to postulate. Cause you're like, okay, well I'm told, you know, I, I'm accepting the fact that this alien showed up and he can fly and, and bend steel with his, with his hands. Like, all right, that's weird enough. Like, so you're just thinking about the alien. You're not thinking about like, and when, so when Lex is thinking about his downtime, he's like, maybe he goes back to his ship. Um, you know, he, he, he hired PIs to go, I guess, investigate the Atlantic ocean or something. Um, in case the ruined ship is there, but and even and he's James Cameron to go right you know, look, look for the Titanic and Superman. But um, I guess the only thing that makes it like I like slightly like more likely that it should be up on your radar is like okay, yeah, he's an alien from outer space. If he had tentacles and shit, then it wouldn't at all occur to you that he's got a day job. But he's an alien from outer space that you know looks like he's from Iowa. Um, so then it's, you know, slightly more likely that he'd be trying to blend in with the populace, but yeah, but yeah, I think I like it still, I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's totally valid. Like that is sort of an interesting part of this story is that like among the assumptions is that this is, he's not just a superhero. He's the first superhero showing up in a universe that doesn't understand the concept. Exactly. You know, Lex will start looking for secret identity immediately, but right now it's just like, I think it's, it's such a it would be such a weird guess because like yeah because yeah, secret secret identity isn't is a non obvious conclusion to run to exactly like the, the you'd have to postulate okay this guy wants to have a job yeah. like I you know even that like that that would be such a weird guess like why would he want to go to work like no way. because like he desperately wants to fuck Lois and so he's trying to you know get a job near her and there you go right. All right. Yeah, I guess we skipped over that a little bit. Like, yeah, he's got this sort of like pathetic crush on Lois that she's like thoroughly aware of and like at least thankful that he's not being a dick about it. She's like, oh, dude, he still wants to fuck me. All right, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, that, that was – I was reading the historical note here at the end of the chapter. Um, Alexander points out that the eugenics movement was still alive and well at this time. So if you see references it, references to it pop up here and there, just remember that this, this was an opinion you could have voiced without anyone raising an eyebrow back when the story – uh, takes place in the 1930s and that the United States really did denature alcohol, which wound up killing more people than Superman probably saves in a decade. The more, you know, that's like the, that's the source of a lot of people's uh, mythology around like, Oh my God, that, you know, that's going to make you go blind. It only made you go blind because they purposely put wood alcohol in that shit back in the thirties. I think too, if you like, like bathtub alcohol, if you don't make it safely can also, no, burn. no, actually, I, I used, I used to make my own booze. Oh, really? Still my own because you cannot, even if you tried, if your goal was to try to make yourself go blind, making your own bathtub gin, you, you can't do it. Oh man, I've been lied to. You can, you can give yourself a really bad hangover, but 
<laughs> right on. All right, dude. Well, that leaves us with there the, it. Is. Uh, what chapters do we do next week? I'm thinking chapter five, I think might be the longest we've done so far, but there's still plenty to talk about with, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm eager to get into chapter six as well. So we're going to do five and six next week. All right. Thanks. Alrighty. All right. Same time, same time, same place, everybody. See you next week. Bye,